Hello, and welcome to episode 210 of Flicks in the Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me for Reno Ways, the man, the myth, the snow job? Alessandro Bielsi. <laughs> Say hello, Al. So, is this week going to be the lasto word on the Mando watch? I was going to call it the lasto watch. Okay. Huh. Um, on this week's episode, obviously, post-credits, we have the finale of The Last of Us to discuss, as well as, unfortunately, only the second episode of Mando, because I did not get to watch the third, or third and not the fourth. I don't remember how many we're in. I'm one episode behind as of this recording. Um, so the <clears throat> fourth one came out today, I think? Okay, so that's that's the one I did not watch. Yeah, okay. Right, well, and what about Ted Lasso? Did you watch any of that yet? The first episode. Okay, same. I didn't get So days. we're going to lasso... I said the, la- the last-o word, because The Last of Us, we had the last word. Sure. We had Ted Lasto for uh, Ted Lasso, and then sure. uh, we have Mando Watch. So yeah, I think okay. the, the last-o word on Mando Watch. Got yeah. it. Perfect. Uh, I dare say that the post-credits episode may be longer than the base episode. <laughs> yeah, I kept, uh, I kept us light and efficient for the news this week. Uh, okay, other than that, though, we do have some trailers to go over, as well as some Shamrock, Sheik, chicanery which is very <laughs> difficult they're very difficult to say especially considering that i apparently just wrote the words out of order oh no on my notes but i pulled it together at the end there rings of power season two casting which is pretty exciting to hear about all before diving into our flick of the week elvis but first al what are we drinking um well it's fitting that a year after the oscars in which we bought this beer we're doing evil genius <laughs> I knew we bought this one together. I didn't realize that it was exactly a year old. Yeah, remember last year when we went... Remember this year when we went to the liquor store to buy beer and stuff before the Oscars? Yeah. We did the exact same thing. Yeah, we did. Exactly a year ago. And we bought this one. It's been buried amongst the beers. So we have um, Evil Genius Purple Monkey Dishwasher, which we bought literally just because we loved the name. I don't yep. think either of us had ever had it. I still have not to this point, I think. Or no, maybe we tried no, it that night. I think we, we had it that night. It was a long, yeah. it was a while ago. It was a year ago. Yeah. Um, it's a chocolate peanut butter porter. <clears throat> it's an ale with natural flavors added. Um, it is, I'm not a fan of the natural flavors added. Yeah, I guess not, but whatever. Uh, it's 6.7% alcohol by volume. Unfortunately, it only comes in a 12-ounce can. Dare I say... Fortunately, this feels like it would be too much in the pint. I don't know. Well, we'll, mm. we'll see. I don't remember, right. honestly. Um, it's uh, from Pennsylvania, Pittston, Pennsylvania. If candy and beer had a beautiful liquid baby, do you like chocolate? And I don't think I like the phrase liquid baby. <laughs> do you like chocolate and peanut butter, but hate all that pesky chewing? <laughs> Give your teeth a vacation with our rich, full-bodied chocolate peanut butter porter. I'm so glad that you read the rest of that, because when I went to it, for whatever reason, my my eyes went right to the middle where it said, give your teeth a vacation. And instead of reading the rest <laughs> of it, I went, what could that mean? <laughs> <laughs> the world may never know. <laughs> True. Did you notice? I It's it's pretty cool. Their logo is well, a keg <laughs> with a bottle inside, but it- knocked out in such a way that it looks like the letter E. I That's actually appreciate. really cool. I never yeah. noticed that. You see, the logo is a it's heart. It's a heart. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's pretty neat. No, I appreciate this, this is some good, uh, this is good stuff. All right, let's get this. I, I you will say, I dig the can 
I will. I want to say art, but it's really just. I don't know. I'll dig the can art. Typography is really nice on this. Yes. Um, purple monkey dishwasher. I feel like that's got to mean something, right? Does it? Did fear uh, movie lions mean anything? Yes. FML. Mm. Um, this this I feel like this means something. I also feel like I feel like I've heard it before. No, what you heard before was puppy monkey baby. That's that's what's rattling around in your brain. You remember that kick, the Kickstart commercial from like eight years ago during the Super Bowl? It could be that horrible, horrible, like hybrid animal creature thing. And it was <laughs> man, a <pug>. bear pig. <laughs> yeah, it was a pug and a monkey and oh a my baby. God, I do remember that. <laughs> yes, and it's the same exact cadence. Purple monkey dishwasher is the same as puppy monkey baby. Hmm. All right. Well, let's give this one a taste, shall we? Cheers. Cheers. Much better than mine. Whatever. Well, I had an empty bottle over here, so. Yeah, I'm gonna. It's confession time. I'm still not. Uh, last week we didn't record because I wasn't feeling 100. percent I'm still not feeling that good, and I don't think I could taste this at all. Really? Yeah, it's very yeah, like I'm. I'm so congested. That's surprising. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty bold in flavor. That's what they say about you. <laughs> um. It, <laughs> It's what from what I can taste it, it it's good. I do there is something unnatural about the flavor, which is what you get with natural flavors. Yes. Um, which I don't love. But um I'm not gonna judge this one too critically. I think I abstain from making a vote on this one just because I, I, I can't give it an actual reading. So Your judgment's tainted, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I mean that is the thing, unfortunately, with a lot of peanut butter flavored things is you can taste when it's like, yeah, no, this tastes like peanut butter, but it tastes like someone trying to make something taste like peanut yeah. butter. Yeah. In a way that, like... Like a like, Reese's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like Reese's has both peanut butter and peanut butter flavor, right? Like, I think they do both. It, it, well, yeah, which basically Reese's has some... It's like peanut butter, but it also has equal parts sugar in the peanut butter, unnecessarily. Mm. Where, like, it no longer really tastes like peanut butter to me. Well, I think it's an important distinction for something like this where, like... When you think of like candies or something like that, where mm. it's like, oh, this is a cherry flavored candy. I can eat the stick. Um, <laughs> no. Fun, fun dip. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Oh, so you started watching? Trivia. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, because for a second it didn't click for me because it's not a. To this point, it hasn't been a shared reference point, mm-hmm. so it didn't like. I wasn't sure if it would break through. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. That was I think that was last week's episode. I think. Um, I don't know. I'm completely caught up. <laughs> no, two two, two weeks ago. Um, okay. Um, well, because I I only just finally watched this past week's like yesterday. Oh, okay. So it was the one before that. I'm pretty sure. Um, no, like, you know, like cherry candy. Like, oh, it's cherry flavored, but it yeah. doesn't taste like cherry or strawberry or what. Like, they don't actually taste like right. it. This tastes like peanut butter. Mm-hmm. But it's also easily identifiable that it's not actually peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, I hear. I, yeah, and and I do, I do really enjoy peanut butter, and I don't care for peanut butter flavor because I want peanut butter instead. <laughs> um, but is it? Is it? I, again, this could just be my uh, nasal passages getting the best of of this scenario. But is there a metallic taste to it to you? Uh, you know, I didn't notice it at first, but actually the last, like, two sips, I kind of am noticing it a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what that is. I don't think that's from the peanut butter. That's I think that's just from whatever malt they used. 
Hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's it's a solid joke's beer. on you. You've been poisoned. Oh, wow. You now have thirty minutes to figure <laughs> out the end. Um, it's a slow it, poison. It's a it's a solid beer. Um, it's uh, it's it smells good, tastes good, but it's not like great. But uh, two two things I cannot confirm. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> I have no problem carrying uh, this part cool. of the conversation for right now. I appreciate but no, I think it. this is solid. I think this is. Uh, you always have my back. <laughs> probably, probably two thuckler. All right, sweet. I think of the of the peanut butter chocolate beers that I've had. Sweet baby Jesus has been my favorite. Sorry, even more sweet baby Jesus has been my favorite. I know we had that. Did we do that on the show? I don't know if we did that or if we did sweet baby Jesus. Was that from Alter Ending? Uh, no. Um, that is, is it, it, I wouldn't be these people because who makes that? Was it it genius? I know. I I, I was going to say that, but they do this one. So I can't imagine. We, I know we've talked about that beer before. I think we've done one other beer from this brewery. Maybe it was that one. Sweet. Duclaw. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know we've definitely talked about that beer. I feel like I've had it, but I couldn't remember if we did it on the show. Definitely had some SBJ, and it's good. It's good <laughs> stuff. Um, nice. Well, two thuckles it is. No contest. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, with that, in record time, we can probably get into some news and nuggets. Maybe not record time. Definitely not. No. Uh, I want to start off with these trailers. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. Th- there's two. I'm not sure that you've seen, but we could just discuss i i have actually you know what i probably should have rewatched the tetris one beforehand but have you seen the tetris trailer i have seen part of it it's like a dramatized documentary not yeah. really based on a true story type yeah when i saw that there was a trailer out for tetris i was like no because i thought it was going to be like a video game movie mm-hmm. but it's, it's a movie about like making yeah, the which actually seems tennis. pretty cool to me. So, well, and it, it certainly Hager seems like it, so. it certainly seems like it's more achievable to make a movie that someone would want to watch about that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That so that looked that caught my eye, and it was an Apple movie. So that yes. I, I do appreciate the occasional Apple movie drop it's, where I'm like, oh, I get to watch that when it comes out. Taron Edgerton, right? Yes, who I, I guess, like. I guess he's got. He must have some sort of deal with Apple because he did that show for Apple as well. Um, it was supposed to be pretty good. It was like a kind of a, um, I think he plays some sort of informant that like is in prison with some. Oh, right. Yeah. That looks interesting too, where he has to like get, if he can get a confession out of somebody else, he'll be able to go free. Yes. Um, and Ray Liotta was in it. He's supposed to be really good. It was one of his last like projects. Right. Right. Um, I forgot what that was called, but yeah, that looks, that was interesting. Blackbird. I want to say that sounds right. Something bird is in the title. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> one of the birds. Yeah, um, but I heard that was good. I just haven't got to it. Uh, of alliteration, there's also a BlackBerry movie coming out. Have you seen that trailer? No, I haven't heard about that. The about. creation of the BlackBerry and the team, and and how like it, that looks really good. Jay Barishow's in that one, um, who I like, and but in a more serious but also quirky role as per usual. I don't think he could play a non-quirky role. So yeah. Um, but that look that actually that looks fun. That looks like a I, I always like a a tech story like um with some based in some fact because they're they're usually interesting stories. I'd be vaguely curious to see that. Like Social Network, I think, is a great movie, even if I hate Facebook. Yeah. 
Um, not calling it by its new name. <laughs> I, well, I uh, mean, like that that site is still called Facebook. Sure. If the company is called, well, I don't, I don't feel like the point of having a tattoo. It's called Meta now. Um, uh, even if I think it's dumb, and I think that the the, the concept, of the project is incredibly dumb. I mean, like, did he just get bored and read Ready Player One? I don't understand. Yes. Yes. Okay. I. Uh, in other trailers, video game trailers. A trailer that we both saw. <laughs> trailer that we both saw. The Jedi Survivor trailer is out, and boy oh boy, am I excited for that game. Yeah. This, that this looks is a, good. There's been a couple of, there was a, a teaser, and then there was a trailer, and then there's been some like first look stuff, and this is but the this story But this is the story trailer. trailer, which is the one that matters to me. Like yeah. for something like this, because I I already know the gameplay is going to be solid, so I'm not I'm not even remotely concerned and don't care about a gameplay trailer. And but we've the, seen that trailer already, and yeah. it looks great. Which you know, check the box. Oh, it looks like the old game, but better and right. more dynamic and more polished. Sold, great. Do it again, plus one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we don't have two lightsaber styles. We have five, and now we also have a grappling hook. Sold. Go. Let's, let's do it. Oh, oh, when you are when you are out of ideas for your franchise, add a fucking grapple hook. It makes everything better. It makes everything better. Well, especially if you have a like exploration slash platformer type game. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Just makes the possibilities endless. Uh, but it looks great. Uh, the character models in particular look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the last game looked really good because it was a very late stage game for that console generation yeah and this is one of the first games that feels like for the new generation that mm-hmm. really feels like it's trying to tap into what this generation's all about i i agree I and mean, of I a triple a like, game at least right yeah with the first game though there was a lot of close-up dialogue delivery and i think that was to kind of showcase the facial expressions and things like that like as far as the tech is concerned however in doing so, it's a little uncanny valley with like that type. Like something just doesn't feel quite right with it's that. the eyes. It's it's de- the dead eyes. Everybody has dead eyes. Well, it's not just the dead eyes. It's the bug eyes. Everyone has Ogdo Bogdo eyes somewhere, yeah, for some true. reason. Because um, like that Ogdo Bogdo eye. Tongue out. <laughs> <laughs> because um, was that a murdered frog. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously um, Cam Monaghan is. The person who voices Cal Kestis, but they mocapped his face. He looks exactly like him. Yeah. Um, and I forget the name of the actress who voiced Seer, um, but she also looks very much like yes. the character. But hers is the one whose the eyes is like they her eyes are three times too big for her head. It's like, yeah. Did they rush the mocap for her for some reason? I don't. I don't know. Um, but that's that's the thing. It's the eyes. Yeah. But uh, all of that seems more even though in the in the materials they've shared so far where like people don't look uh, like unrealistic yeah which is kind of cool i i am i am very curious to see if there'll be a wookie well i was gonna say the wookie will be the real if it will have hair or straw (laughs) (laughs) the giant lump of shit i believe you called it yeah just a mad just a one hundred percent matted dog. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand why it's so bad. But not just a matted dog, an anthropomorphic matted dog mm-hmm. that's fifty percent bigger than, it than is, another anthropomorphic creature. It is the. It, it may as well have come straight out of the holiday special. <laughs> like that's like that. It's a, like a leftover prop. <laughs> I don't. 
I don't understand for everything else looking pretty damn good for that stage of the console generation, why that specifically looks so bad. So bad. The, the, the creatures that you fight, they all look like they're rendered very well. Yeah, including the terrifying spiders, which... Yeah, all those things. The spiders, the worms, the... Can we just not with the spiders this time around, though? I mean, you're, they're gonna. I know. <laughs> we don't have to go back to the same places. I mean, that's the one thing about spiders is they're everywhere. Yeah, but who says? I mean, they did a pretty good joke about it in um, in in Mass. I think it was Mass Effect Three, where it was like there was some sort of thing about like um, you went to to some planet and you ran into this alien species you weren't expecting to, and one of the other people in your crew who is an alien to you, not a human. Uh, said something along the lines of like somehow, some way, there's always spiders. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I've heard the humans have them as well, and you also don't like them. <laughs> it's so true. Ah, oh, man, brutal. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. I did actually. This is something that I was thinking about um, when watching The Mandalorian. But there's something so I never. It never really. It never bothered me. And it still doesn't bother me. It's just something that I've noticed more lately with all of the Star Wars stuff that we have. You'll go from planet to planet. And the entire planet is resembled a certain way versus like ecosystems within the planet. So like oh, Tatooine been, is all desert. That's been a hot, hotly contested uh, topic in Star Wars and, and to a lesser extent, uh, all sci-fi, but specifically Star Wars, the proliferation of single biome planets. Right. Because it's not super realistic or it's, it's not realistic for a life harboring planet like sure like obviously gas giants are their own thing but for terrestrial planets out in the universe it probably is fairly common for a single biome planet if it doesn't have a biome like right for mars to be fairly consistent all the way around it doesn't have an atmosphere it doesn't have life but for something to be able to sustain life the odds of it being single biome are minuscule. Like for there to be an ice planet that has life to, for there to be a desert planet that has life is, or to be a planet that is covered 100% by forest mm-hmm. or jungle. Not very likely. And I, I, I guess unless like the, the thing is like by like those, these planets didn't just naturally have the ability to sustain life, but we like, they got like terraformed in some way. Well, I guess, it. yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe you could make an argument to an extent to a desert planet that the temperature was at a place that if you just crashed an icy rock into it and just to give it a trace amount of water in yeah. the atmosphere, that is possibly believable. But a planet that is jungle over its entire surface, <laughs> like there would still be polar ice caps, almost right. certainly. <laughs> Like, there would have so, to be temperate zones, even if it was more jungly than, like, say, Earth. Even if, instead of jungles just being in very small equatorial bands, but even if they went all the way to, like, the, um, like, past the tropics to, uh, like, not the Arctic Circle. What's the uh, the other? I'm totally drawing a blank on that other um, latitude. Like, in the middle, there's the equator, and then there's the, the tropics, and then there's... 
or am I, is that it? Actually, no, maybe those are all, all of them. And then this mm-hmm. the, the Arctic Circle, the Antarctic Circle, whatever. But for the equatorial bands to be like wider, even if you kind of wiped out that middle class, there would still be polar ice caps and there would still be a gradation as you go on towards that yeah. too cold area. Even if it's much smaller, there would still be sections of the planet that are like not 90 degrees and humid <laughs> and verdant life <laughs> and and that's and and you know what they're like it's like one of those with with all of sci-fi movies and and stories and like everything especially with everything so I'm, I'm perfectly okay with just suspending that disbelief and enjoying it yeah uh, the thing that I've, i'm as of late finding it a little bit harder to cope with is we just go to a planet to find a thing that we're not quite sure is there but we know exactly where on the planet to land like this and this bothered me most with like Fallen Order, right? Like where you went somewhere to explore, to figure out where this temple is. But I guess we had a general idea of where the temple is on the entire planet that we were able to land nearby. Well, I think we did. We did because didn't like when you went to what's it called? Zepho the first time. Uh-huh. Didn't they have some indication from Eno that where to start looking. I think he gave them coordinates because you're like zooming in and they're like, Oh, the place we're going, there's a massive storm. Let's look for the eye of the storm and see if we can settle down. That's fair. Um, What about about when you go to Dothamir though? That I will concur with you a little bit more on the the general principle that you're espousing here. The, uh, the issue then being, well, if we know where we need to be and I don't know about you, but I remember getting into the temple. There's definitely space to land over there. We could oh, have yeah. just flown a little closer, that, which that is fine thing. because that, that would break thing. the game if we didn't go there. But Th- that sort of thing has always driven me nuts with with video games. Like at least if they give you, even if it's a token line, like "Hey, we have to land over here because we heard some radio chatter. We don't want to get too close. It'll be easier for to sneak in on foot." It's like, okay, you've mm-hmm. given me a legitimate reason. Like it's kind of bullshit, but it's a legitimate reason to affect gameplay. Now. Or like we don't know what this planet has to offer, it could be dangerous to get the ship that close if we need to hightail it out of here. Like, anything, really. Like, just well, a little to, nod. To, to be fair, what happened in the second episode of Mandalorian, right? Where he... he they they land on Mandalore yeah. near the city, but, hey, this is a nice, clear, flat area. Yeah. We land their safety. If, if we have to get out of here, we can. And we can sample the air, make sure it's safe, and then yeah. we're not that far to walk to where we gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's just just a, th- a random thing that popped into my head with all this Star Wars stuff. But but story trailer, story trailer looks great. They've been purposely hiding things, been purposely dancing around certain things so that we don't know who and what and where is going on. And we finally got our confirmations that we're gonna get to see our buddy Grease and yep. um, our our new pal who's been around for a while, Marin. And we've already seen Seer in the original trailer, so yeah, kind of it almost the trifecta. It almost seems like I don't, and I know you're you're reading the bridge story, but it almost seems to me like they had to split up for some period of time. And yeah. I'm getting the impression that, uh, sorry, what's the witch's name again? Marin. Marin. Um, I almost get the impression that Marin and, and Cal were together for most of that, but I, I, it's just a weird read that I had on the. Well, on the trailer. We'll talk about that more during consumption, I guess. Okay. Cool. But, uh, yes, they're. Because I still don't know the reason they're split up yet, but it seems pretty obvious that's where they're headed. Because even... So the idea is from the first game to the second game, it's a five-year time jump. It's already been almost five years of time jump 
to the start of the book, which takes place before the second game. Hmm. So they kind of give you some very broad backstory on the fact that they're just this kind of Robin Hood-esque group of people who are going in and... We're men. Yeah, men in tights. We're men in tights. Yeah. So <laughs> the bridging is even still going to be kind of... It's basically a prologue to the game is how it's reading so far. Cool. I like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I I mean, I'm glad that it's not out yet because I've uh, we'll get into consumption, but I've been really digging Hogwarts Legacy. So uh, I'm hoping to make some more progress in that. I doubt that I'm going to beat it before. There's probably going to be a break. Probably be playing Hogwarts Legacy as much as I can over the next couple of weeks. Then once Survivor comes out, it's all that all the time Same. until it's beaten. And then I'll go back to whatever else I'm playing. Well, t- um, we can talk about that more during consumption as well. Yeah, since but, you, uh, you yeah it, look, it looks picture. great. I'm curious, like, what what is this location that Cal has found that they think is safe for the Jedi? I I don't. I'm really curious what's what it's all about and where it's going. Especially especially considering the time frame of the game, and I'm like really curious if is this going to be is this it? Are they going to make another one? Are they going to make it a trilogy and we're going to lose most of our characters in the end? Like I. I well, I'll tell you that uh, within the past week or so, um, was it Stieg Asmussen, I think, is the guy who's in the head of the game. Okay. He said that if they get their way, they want this to be a trilogy. Okay. Cool. That's their plan as of right now. Oh, man. With the third game being the close of this console generation, it'll be just an incredible... That would be that would be pretty great, actually. Uh, I feel like that would be perfect. Yeah. It would either be the close of this console generation or the launch of the next one, I feel like. but Yeah, it's, it, you're right. It, it's more than likely to be kind of on the cusp of that. Yeah. Mm. Close would be great, though, because there is a... Those those final games of a console generation are just... They're something to behold. They're, it's awesome. It's a really razor-thin margin to hit of fully actualizing the engine for that generation but getting it out with enough time that people actually want to really engage with it without mm-hmm. looking towards what's coming next. Yeah. Like really probably like a year before a, like a, a, the next console comes out is like the perfect sweet spot to try and hit. It's, it's probably impossible to really hit that like aim and hit that mark. But when right. you do, it's pretty sensational. Yeah. Oh man. I'm excited. Really excited for this game. Oh, that did get me thinking of, I don't. You've probably seen some of these Unreal Five like tech demos where I've heard about it. I haven't really spent much time watching it. So there, <laughs> there's this one, one person, maybe a couple, but like really one person driving it. There's a web series called For For the Empire, and I think I shared with you the first season on YouTube. Oh, you mentioned it. I kind of forgot about that. The whole thing is rendered in Unreal Engine Five, and like voice. I don't. I think it's like it might be one or, or two people like doing the, the voices for the characters, and it's basically these two stormtroopers, and one of them is a complete ass, and the other one is like tired of his shit, and it's so so funny. If listeners, if you get the chance, it is absolutely worth your time. It's they're they're short episodes. You could watch them individually, or you could just sit down for like thirty minutes and watch the entire first season. Um, I've been catching the second season as they as they put out episode by episode, because like they're like, a, you know, I could take a quick 10-minute break and watch one. Yeah. Uh, but they're it's like, it's really silly. 
Now, and then it's also like you forget that you're watching a rent a three D render. That's how like it's they do a pretty good job. There's a couple of things that are obvious, but like for the most part, it looks really good. Now, Unreal Five hasn't like actually been like a real thing. Like nothing's been published on that platform yet, right? Like you know, I, I don't actually know because I'm pretty sure that Survivor is Unreal Four. Let me see, Unreal Five games. All games confirmed to be using Unreal Engine 5 so far. Lyra. I'm guessing it's Which is out. Oh, is it? Okay, I said I was going to guess that the majority Um, of it is still in progress. This says Fortnite on PS5. That that doesn't make sense. The Matrix Awakens, that that was like a tech demo game thing that was Unreal 5. Mortal Online 2, Cephas Protocol, I Am Jesus Christ, the prologue. I don't know what that is. So this is basically <laughs> sounding like no no major, like no AAA type of release. Redfall seems like, uh, which is coming in May, is an Unreal 5 game, which seems... Um, so we're only just starting to get there. Yeah. These other games, like I think, are like, you know, first passes, it feels like some of them. None of, nothing that I'm seeing on this list I know much about, so... Yeah, that's not surprising because I know the whole thing with Unreal is like they make it super easy to license, right? So it's probably, even though you're not getting the full potential, I'm sure it's much easier for some of these indie games to turn around something in that Mm -hmm. engine. It's probably going to be a while until we get a AAA that's on that platform. Yeah, well, I think Redfall would probably be close to that. That name Uh, is vaguely familiar, but I really don't know. It's a Bethesda game, I think. Is it? I want to say yes. Redfall. Let me find it again. It is... No, sorry. It's Arcane Studios. Oh. Um, which, isn't that like a sub of something? I know I know the name. Uh, developed uh, by Arcane and published by Bethesda. There you go. That's the one. Because Bethesda's main focus right now is Starfield, which got pushed back. They finally game. officially dated as... September like 24th or something this year. <laughs> Officially dated for the second time? Or third yes. time? Well, I think it's kind of pushed for the second time, but after the first time, they never gave a date. Mm, that's, that sounds right. Um, but now it sounds like that's hard and fast what they're, they're planning on. Yeah. I, I wouldn't expect it to move again. Cool. Well, Shadow Sabaru looks great. See you yes, in a month. Very excited. Uh, let me get that Shamrock Shake chicanery. <laughs> as you can tell, I didn't go back and fix the okay. words. I just tried again. And like I got there again. It's just a little So little this funky. is this is the one I was mentioning to you, I think. Um I am going to send this to you if you'd like to follow along. Sure. Um I purposely phrased this in a way that you couldn't spoil it for yourself. Oh great. Now, for any listeners that we have that are a little younger than us, we're both in our early 30s. Um, Back in the day, McDonald's used to have mascots. Not just Ronald McDonald, who I'm sure you're aware of, but they had other ones, like the Hamburglar. And more importantly, they had Grimace. Grimace was a giant purple monster. They had a little, like, a Saturday morning cartoon show. They had commercials with, like, live-action people in costumes. So this is a story on a little website I've never heard of before called (laughs) Billy Penn. And this story is titled Philadelphia and the Demise of Uncle O'Grimacy, McDonald's one-time Shamrock Shake mascot. (laughs) One time. 
So we just talked about Grimace, the giant purple monster, pear-shaped. Um, so this is tracking down the rumor. It was Philly's fault the fast food chain pulled the fuzzy green monster from promotional materials. So at the top of this thing, there's a picture of someone who is shaped an awful lot like Grimace, yeah. but is somehow at least 20% more horrifying. Uh, it is green. It has shamrocks on it. It's got a leprechaun hat and a shillelagh in his hand. Um, and I'm going to read this story. As I gotta say, the season, most unsettling part about this, though, is that that is not just a drawn character. That is clearly a mascot uniform, and somebody's yeah, wearing it. But much worse than Grimace. Like, Grimace looked to be of higher quality than this. Yeah. This looks like a throw rug that had green paint thrown on it. <laughs> As Shamrock Shake season comes around, so does the rumor that Philly deposed the one-time mascot for McDonald's signature St. Patrick's Day beverage. Introduced as the Uncle of Grimace, the purple proto-monster of the McDonald's extended universe, Uncle O'Grimacy was sent to fail from the plains of Ireland. Decked out in a shamrock and blazoned vest and shillelagh. The, the character was part of Shamrock Shake promotional material starting in 1975. While sales for the minty milkshakes are still going strong after 50 plus years, the fuzzy green ma- mascot didn't make it nearly as long. Oh my it fell, goodness. It fell by the wayside at some point in the 1980s. Was it Philadelphia's fault? The story goes that O'Grimacy was discontinued due to choice comments made by an actor playing the mascot at an event in Philly where he spoke out in favor of the Irish Republican Army, the paramilitary group that claimed the mantle of earlier IRAs active during the Irish War of Independence. Wow. (laughs) Oh, Uh, my. Man, if only Twitter was a thing then. Because we could go back and read these tweets. <laughs> oh, God, could you imagine? Portions of Philadelphia's Ireland affiliated community have supported Irish independence movements materially and morally for the better part of 200 years. From the Fenian movement in the 1860s, of which, parenthetically, I know nothing. There is a link, and I did not click it. I don't know anything about that. Um, to the late 20th century, Irish Philadelphians have sent aid soldiers and offered asylum for comrades fighting on the other side of the Atlantic. In 1979, an IRA bomb maker named Michael O'Rourke was arrested in the F- by the FBI in Philly three years after blasting himself out of custody and escaping a Dublin jail. In 1983, while still in custody, O'Rourke was named an honorary Grand Marshal in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the city. However, there is no record of any Uncle O'Grimacy incident in Philadelphia papers of the time. The concept may have originated with a 1997 article in The Onion, Promised around, quote, IRA demand for year-round shamrock shakes. <laughs> <laughs> the article attributes straight-up terroristic statements to Oklahoma. <laughs> 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 this That's seasonal amazing. treat does have a major connection to Philadelphia. It became popular and became a major fundraiser for Ronald McDonald House Charities thanks to a partnership with the Eagles. Um, wow. So Grimace's a horrible green uncle may be a terrorist, an Irish terrorist. <laughs> I think the biggest takeaway here is that Grimace is Irish. Well, his uncle is. It's a 50-50 shot, I guess, that Grimace is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering they share a name, yeah, like they, it's not like you could like say, oh, well, it was my, it was my aunt's husband, right? His yeah. name's Uncle O'Grimacy. They share a name. <laughs> but like, is he Grimace O'Grimacy? 
<laughs> oh god, I hope so. <laughs> From the makers of Bodie McBoatface, we bring you Uncle O'Grim. <laughs> we bring you Grimace O'Grimacy. <laughs> it was great. That was a, that was a nice little treat. I like that one. Also, what in the world? What in the? It's <laughs> ad- <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I that brings up power casting. There's no way out of this one. <laughs> I told you it was gonna it was gonna elicit some sort of response from you. <laughs> oh my god, that is great! I will say uh, this this uh, tease that you gave me of Rings of Power season two casting definitely um, a little sad, just because it's like if we're just talking casting, like it's just it's so far away. Oh yeah, I mean we're not gonna see it until twenty twenty four, almost certainly. It's just like the momentum, though. What are you drinking? What do you have there? Uh, uh, don't worry about it. What it's do you a, have there, Al? It's a, it's a focal banger. Fucker. <laughs> That's why I, I swear to God, if you reach it. over and grab Gorgonzola fries right now, this episode <laughs> is over. <laughs> this episode is over. Friendship over. <laughs> I, I was trying to. I was trying not to. Um, I even muted my microphone when I opened it. Yeah. I tried to move it outside of the. The camera, but then of course, you know, it came back in the camera when I sipped it. But. I, I can only be so mad. I, I wouldn't dare crack one of those right now because I wouldn't be able to fully taste it. So it's just like, what's. Yeah, what's that's the- true. It would be lost on you. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is on Variety from a couple days ago. Uh, this is The Lord what of the Rings. You got me, Uncle Grimacy. <laughs> the Rings of Power Season 2 adds Kieran Hines, Rory Kinnear, and Tanya Moody. Uh, I, all, all of those names sound like actor doppelgangers to me. <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. Um, you definitely know Kieran Hines, even if you don't realize you know him. Um, okay. He, sorry, let me get to the story here. Sorry, I was looking at something else real quick, but I couldn't find what I was looking for. Uh, Middle Earth has a few new residents. Kieran Hines, Rory Kinnear, and Tanya Moody have joined the cast of Lord of the oh. Power. Hines, from, uh, I know him. All right, I told you. Uh, Hines, Kinnear, and Moody will feature in. Oh, I know this guy. In recurring roles through the upcoming season, which is currently in production in the United Kingdom, Hines is an Irish actor, while Kinnear and Moody are both British. Details regarding their characters remain under wraps. Um, They join an already expensive cast, which featured 23 series regulars during its first season, playing elves, ants, dwarves, harfoots, orcs, and humans. I don't recall there being any ants. Um, The trio of new additions also follows a crop of already announced cast members, which include... Oliver Alvin Wilson, Stuart Bowman, Gavi Singh, uh, sorry, Gavi Singh Chera, William Chubb, Kevin Eldon, Will Keane, Selena Lowe, Callum Lynch, Gabriel Akuadike, Yasin Zaitz Ator, Ben Daniels, Amelia Kenworthy, Nia Tal, and Nicholas Woodison. Woodison. Um, the second season is reportedly expected to release in 2020. Uh, hmm. Kieran Hines has been in a bunch of different shows and movies that I've seen. He was in um, well, he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, probably the most people maybe would recognize him from that. He was in Belfast, wasn't he? The, I the, the grandfather. So I actually still haven't seen that. Oh wow, that movie! Oh my god, so forget the pre- the Oscars movies from this year. You should have watched that <laughs> instead. <laughs> um, Rory Kinnear was in uh, the the. The Daniel Craig Bond movies, he played um, M's right-hand man. And uh, I think he was in that 
Alex Garland movie that came out last year or the year before last year. I still haven't seen that one. Which one is that? Um, I think it was called Men. Hmm. It was like I had no idea he was making this movie. The last I had heard after Deus was I that, can confirm he was in that. Yeah, after, the last thing after I after Deus, I thought he was making another television show, and then he scrapped it, and all of a sudden was like, "Oh, hey, by the way, this movie's coming out." Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it was literally just Rory Kinnear and that Irish actress whose name is escaping me right now, who was in the last season of Fargo. Um, I, it's, I think like 99% of the movie is just the two of them in it. So it was literally like something they could shoot super quick and easy during the pandemic, I think. Gotcha. Jesse Buckley. Um, I would like to get to it. I just have, I have not seen it yet. Um, and Tanya Moody, I, I, she looked familiar to me. I didn't recognize the name. She was in episode nine. She played a general. I can't remember. Was she a resistance general or a first order general? The face is familiar, but I can't picture. I don't know. I'm looking which... at a picture of her right now, and that's all I've got is that she was in that, and I, know, I like her face for sure is recognizable. I just can't picture which side of the conflict she was on. Yeah, I want to say I think she was in the first order, but I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Hmm. Cool. Nice to hear that. <clears throat> it's like I don't know. I know it's happening, but like nice to be to reconfirm that it's happening. Yeah, and, like, they're still moving on it because it, well, I really I, enjoyed the first season. I I know that the response to it was all over the map. I mean, a lot of people watched it. Um, the conversation around it, I don't want to say it was divisive because I don't think there was a ton of strong hatred for it, but I think there was a lot of people who were like, ugh. And there was a lot of people us, like us who were like, it wasn't perfect, but like, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Um, but they also have like spent like $5 billion on it, so they're not going to scrap it after one season. Yeah. Um, I think they should just spin it off at this point. I mean, like, I will watch that that buddy comedy, like of, uh, the dwarf and the elf, like we call it that maybe. I like just, <laughs> I, I could see, I, those, those two of them, their performances were tremendous. Their characters were so well written and they were just so fun to be with. Yeah. I really didn't love all of Galadriel's storyline, but I really liked her in that role. Um, hmm. I liked that take on the character. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of the stuff outside of um, Elrond and uh, Durin was of mixed quality. There was some that was good, and there was yeah. some that was not. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. Yeah, it was first. There was time some sh- that was good, and there was some that was Theo. And there was, some that was Theo. <laughs> <laughs> and there, was, there was some that was uh, Isildur, <laughs> the shitty Isildur. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's for some showrunners and they're synthesizing for the first time something and they're trying to weave together all these threads that are largely disparate in the Silmarillion from what I understand. So Mm -hmm. like it was a tough ask. I think they'll get better with it as they go. Um, I think there was enough positive there to give them the grace to figure out how they do this as they go. Um, yeah. and, and adding like strong performers will help because I really like Kieran Hines. I think he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And yeah, I agree. Adding some some heavy hitters will be nice. Uh, not that I mean this first season had some like folks that are recognizable, but like it, it, all in all, the cast does seem to be relatively less known, which I do think maybe benefits it because like you could a, a good performer even though they are really good at their job i feel like the the cracks can start to show with a fantasy story or even a sci-fi story like consider star wars and like 
lesser known people being in it. There's something about that that makes it more makes it more immersive. I, I feel like, but um, it's pretty cool. Well, even think back to when the original <clears throat> Lord of the Rings came out. How many people knew who Viggo Mortensen was at the mm. time? Like, I'm not saying he wasn't in anything, but right. he wasn't like an A-list actor. Yeah. Orlando Bloom was not anyone at that point. Um, Elijah Wood was a young actor at that time who some people knew from some things. Sean Astin, people knew him from like the Goonies as a child actor and Rudy. And like, that was basically it. No one knew um, the guys who played um, Marion Pippen. I'm drawing a blank on their names. Ian McKellen was like a theatrical British actor who was mm-hmm. in movies, but again, was not like a, like people probably may have recognized him, but he wasn't like a superstar actor. It was a very green cast. The, the most recognizable person really like outside of like Elijah Wood, I guess is, is John Reese Davies. And it's just, if you're a big fan of Indiana Jones that you knew him, which was mm-hmm. a huge movie, which a lot of people saw. Hey, 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 we knew Sean Bean. You knew Sean Bean, but even <laughs> he was not like an A-list actor. He was no. a recognizable face who was in big movies, but he wasn't the star of those movies. That's fair. That's fair. I um, I think about him. I see his face. And there was always a there was always a very unsettling scene in Goldeneye for me. Which one? Which is when he says, tastes like strawberries. And Pierce Brosnan says, I wouldn't know. And he vet, like... Like too quickly goes, I would. <laughs> I was like, you're rapey. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's very uncomfortable for all parties involved. <laughs> I, you know, I forgot about that line, which make for two extremely uncomfortable lines evoking that because I always think of the scene from Spider Man 3, Spider Man 2, Spider Man 3. Which one is it? Wait. I don't know. I don't know where you're going. The tastes like strawberries thing that that was oh, um, Harry says that about oh. Mary Jane. Remember, like, what is it about that line? I don't like it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. yeah, that one is uncomfortable too. Yeah, no. The I only person who can say that is Harry Styles, and he can get away with it because that that song is a banger. <laughs> the only time anyone's allowed to talk about something tasting like strawberries is when Elijah Wood says it at first of 14 endings in the return of the king mm. <laughs> i saw a but also because real... he was talking about actual strawberries mm. and it was meant to be a purely joyous and pure thing like sam we've had the most miserable 13 months any person can have do you remember strawberries because they are fantastic and before i die i just want to remember strawberries <laughs> <laughs> I was. I, I have. Um. I. I've been watching a lot of like reels lately on Instagram just because I find them to be so funny. And one of them, a lot of movie related ones. And this one, it starts off. It's like a blank screen, with like a little write up, and it was like I put together a supercut version of the Lord of the Rings of all of the time Legolas speaks to Frodo. It's and it says, me. and it starts, and it goes, and my sword, and then it plays the credits. <laughs> Oh, my bow and my, my bow. I, I was going to say, literally the only time, I maybe the only time he directly addresses him is when he says in my bow. <laughs> That's 
like, well, because because there's that joke that even at the end when everyone's celebrating that he's alive and that they won, he walks in, nods his head, has half of a smile, and says nothing, no words. Yes, yeah. like everyone else, like the and then a few words that Legolas, like you know, his two cousins come in and they're jumping and they're celebrating Frodo and and Sam's yo, Mister Frodo and. And uh, actually, I, don't, I guess Aragorn doesn't say anything, and, and Gimli does his crazy-eyed laugh. Um, but mm. like, listen, just kind of in the background, like, "Hey guys, I'm here too." That's so ridiculous. I I kind of love that. It's just so awkward. It is. <laughs> um, I do. I, I I can never remember. I know I've asked you this a million times. Have you seen Clerks too? I've seen this. The I've seen Clerks too. Yeah. Okay. The, that, that's the... probably my. No, Mallrats is my favorite of all of them, but Clerks Two might be my second favorite. Clerks Two is, is a is a strong contender. Uh, but the but Randall explaining what would have been the Academy Award worthy ending of Return of the King is oh, perfect. Yeah. I will not repeat. You'll just need to go and look that one up. <laughs> hey, I just made two nerds barf. <laughs> <laughs> I made Lord. I made fun of the Lord of the Rings so hard that I made two super nerds puke in the. <laughs> Where, where are the mop and bucket in the closet with the rest of the cleaning supplies? We have cleaning supplies. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Is that it? That's news and nuggets. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Um. Well, let's get into some consumption. I know we have quite a bit of it. Yes. Why don't you start us off? Okay. Um. So what do we got here? We have. Fuck you, internet. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I finished History of the World Part 2 oh, nice. it's a lot of fun it was incredibly stupid um, some of it was fantastic a bunch of it was pretty damn solid some of it was eh hmm. that's okay I, for, the most, expected. for the most part I think they did a good job of picking so the way that the, the structure of the show worked overall it was 8 episodes they were all half an hour-ish and there was a bunch of core skits that they kept going from start to finish. And they typically starred. Uh, so basically the way it worked was Mel Brooks had, we, you know, I know we talked about it a while ago. Mel Brooks uh, had Wanda Sykes, Nick Kroll, and Ike Barinholtz. Like the four of them were kind of masterminds of this. Mel's not really in it other than the intro. He does narrate stuff throughout it. Okay. Mostly just like the start of a sketch. Uh, but he's not really acting in it at all. Uh, I'm sure he was part of the writing and producing of it, but he's basically behind the camera. He's not really on screen. But Baronholtz, Kroll, and Sykes are in it a ton. They play a bunch of different characters depending on the sketch. Each of them kind of had uh, like a core one that they did throughout. Um, for Ike, it was he played um, Ulysses S. Grant in the Civil War, which when I say that, like the sketch is called the Civil War, and that one goes from first episode to last. Okay, um, it details. Lincoln coming to him and making the whole, you know, win this, finish this war, like, like plead him. Yeah. Um, and with it was, you're not allowed to have another drink until the war's over. So also <laughs> um, Lincoln tries to get his, one of his sons, uh, an internship with Grant. <laughs> <clears throat> so the two of them go on a secret mission to West Virginia to get alcohol <laughs> and, you know, hijinks ensue. So that was a, a through line for the whole show. Wanda Sykes, um, hers was, she played Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman in Congress. Mm -hmm. And they did it in the 
guise of a 70s sitcom. Perfect. <laughs> With like a theme song and all that and like Amazing. all the stupid beats of a sitcom, uh, including like a very special episode in which um, I forget the name of what, what congressman or senator it was who was like literally part of the, the KKK <laughs> um, and him like, I don't know if he got shot or had a heart attack and was in the hospital and she visits him, which was a real thing that happened. Okay. Um, but they obviously play it for laughs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then Kroll's was he played this like Jewish peasant farmer in the time of the Russian Revolution. Okay. <laughs> so that whole thing's going on. Oh my god. Um, throughout the course of the show. And there was other ones. There were some sketches that went across multiple episodes, but those are like the three main ones that went like basically start to finish of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them were in other sketches too. And most of them were one-offs. Some of them were really good. Um, I, I appreciated Josh Gad as Shakespeare. <clears throat> yeah. There's the theory that Shakespeare wasn't actually a person, but it was a pseudonym that like the most famous writers of the time were pretending to be a writer named Will Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And so in this case they have a Shakespeare but he's assembled a writer's room <laughs> and they're pitching him ideas for, for I love plays. it. Um, there was uh, one of my favorite running gags. They, they really purposed it into three different sketches, but they had uh, a take on Kublai Khan. And the first one was Marco Polo meeting him and him actually being super gracious. But Marco's, almost died on his whatever rose three or five year journey. And he like the gifts that he brought, like all got fucked up on the journey because of how like <laughs> harrowing it was. Whereas Kublai is being super gracious and welcoming and has all these wonderful gifts. And he gets like super disappointed by how shitty the gifts Marco brings him. <laughs> but then they have another sketch, which is basically a, a riff on, it was kind of like an SNL type sketch of like a riff on like a product commercial, mm-hmm. but instead of ancestry.com, it was concestry.com. It was, it was for other people who were descended from Kublai Khan to connect and like actualize and find purpose in their life. Oh my God. <laughs> and then they had another one that was the real concubines of Kublai Khan. <laughs> it was done in the style of one of those desperate, or not desperate houses, like a real housewives show. Um, it uh, it was just it was so dumb, but it, it was very very funny. A lot of it was very funny. It's it's definitely worth the watch. And yeah, I'll, I'll you, definitely check. It you out. can kind of take your pace. You can watch it all, all in one night or across two weeks, and you're still gonna get a good. There are thirty minutes, right around there. I don't remember. Yeah, been twenty six or oh yeah, but like they're half hour blocks. Yeah. they're not okay. Cool. It was fun. It was a fun show. Nice. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, as we talked about in the uh, in the intro, there finally got into shrinking, and I'm so glad you finally. Started. Boy, oh boy, is it fantastic! Listen, I don't usually bother you like that for a show unless I know mm-hmm. you're going to really. Well, the it. thing is, I was excited for it before it came out. No, I, um, I just like couldn't. Uh, Kim wasn't wasn't really in the mood to watch it, and then like I was like, I had a lot of people saying how good it was, so I was able to pitch it. More and more until we said because I knew that if I started to watch it, she's gonna want to watch it. Because so I like, didn't, I didn't know if you had started talking to her about it. I know <laughs> I talked about it when I saw you guys last week, and she seemed interested. At least well, her biggest thing was she doesn't care for Harrison Ford. She never liked him. Ah. However, that has completely changed now. It's changing for me too. I told you. I think I mentioned to you right. Like 
I read some stuff like he did an interview in support of this and like between this and 1923 and obviously he's got Indiana Jones coming out. I think, and a lot of this is, was intentional by him. Like he didn't want to give too much of his life and it made him come off as being a dick. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's not who he is, but that's the image that he's conveyed for a long time. Yeah. And I don't understand why, like you don't have to let people in if you don't want to, but there's a way to do that without making yourself look like an asshole. Yeah. There, I had, I, I get the impression from, from his performance in this, that like, I feel like he was probably, he has probably been going through, or I mean, definitely has gone through some stuff in his life that maybe he's on the other side of. At it's this possible. Point, because I mean, I, he I, I seems hope- like almost reinvigorated. Like, yeah. Like, in a way that he's like, he is so clearly having a good time making the show. Yeah. And it's, wonderful to see and then also i can i can't imagine like some like jason siegel is probably so pumped to be working with harrison for like it's and like it that comes through too and it's just so everything is just so amazing especially considering how heavy the material is and like i've heard a couple of different because bill lawrence has like an association with the levitard show and i've heard him on another podcast to listen to as well a couple of times in the last few months and like he just gushes about working with him and mm. like i've never heard any of his co-workers ever badmouth him it's yeah. just like what he does in public always made him seem like an ass yeah but uh. like even hearing the stuff where like bill was talking about them having written something for this character and him workshopping like hey listen i read it i went through it like i see where you're getting at and all this but like this line it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. Can we do it better? Like that's like totally fair. And when you're talking about someone who's been as accomplished a performer as Harrison Ford, who has one of the great all time rewrite slash improvisations of all time in the empire strikes back, like you're going to trust that guy's instinct is like, yeah, you can be precious about your material and about the character that you're writing. And he could have loved that pitch and loved playing the character. And there's a way to have that conversation that's professional. And I've never heard of anything about him being unprofessional right. on set and all that. It's got to be something that's really cool about working in that scenario. And to see him, like you said, like, yeah, he's always going to play some version of a curmudgeon in some way, shape or form. But to see the depth of this character, mm-hmm. this is the most vulnerable character I've ever seen. him. Yeah, I agree. And it's awesome. It's just, it's just so good. And I also got to say, probably I think it makes sense that somebody like that would elevate the people around them, like which is what a good actor does, I feel like. But uh, Jason Siegel has matured tremendously as an actor. Not to say that he was bad before, but there is he's hitting a different level entirely. Yeah, he's not playing a 27-year-old anymore. He's playing a 45-year-old now. Yeah, but it, it, it's cool. But he's balancing it so well with, like, he's still him, right? He's still his goofy self. However... When it's time to be serious, it's so convincing. Like, which is I feel like is the is the best, I don't know, praise you can give an actor. Like, I believe that you are this character whose wife died and you have been not dealing with it for a year. Like it is Yeah. It is palpable. And his, it's his best performance to date was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall's because it was a character he wish I wasn't wearing this fucking shirt. <laughs> it was a character he created <laughs> himself right he wrote and directed that movie it it was deeply personal to him he was able to play it because it to whatever extent is him i mean like he didn't go through those things in real life but like 
Yeah. He wrote that character to be him, and yeah. he's a co-creator. Loves the piano, Muppet-obsessed, just yeah. infatuated Goofball. with Neil Diamond. Goofball. <laughs> and now he, he's a, a co-creator of this show. He's not the creator yeah. the way he was in that movie. But what he's doing, like, when things are getting serious, whether it be in the therapy session or mm-hmm. when he can be serious for five minutes talking to someone in his life or when he could be a father, he couldn't do that. And forget no. commercials. Like he could only do that then. And yeah, like there's obviously shared DNA in those two characters. You could see Peter Brenner's wife dying and him becoming this character, mm. but it's not the same performance. Yeah. There's similarity, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's he's, he's great though. It's just really, there's a there's a particular scene that got me the other day where he has to be stern and he grounds his daughter and she <laughs> walks away and says, I fucking hate you as she's leaving. And he yells after her, well, I fucking love you. <laughs> and I was just like, that is perfect. <laughs> I know because, and that's, that's a pretty good distillation of the show too, where like things got pretty serious and pretty heavy, not just in that scene. But everything going on for like the 10 minutes before that across multiple characters' storylines is he's trying to come back. He kind of slips. He fucks up the engagement party. He's not dealing well with his best friend who they're just recently rekindled their friendship. Yeah. Asking him to no longer marry him and his partner because he fucked up at his engagement party. So he boops him. So he boops him. (laughs) Harrison Ford is in tow. Yeah, so out of place in that situation, and everything is falling apart around them. <laughs> Somebody's gonna have to drive me home. <laughs> I'm the only one. I'll drive you home. <laughs> he goes. He goes. Yeah, that'll do, <laughs> or whatever. But like that, that whole sequence. Like there are laughs in there, but it's very serious overall. And <clears throat> then to have that, it looks like like what was finally being a healing relationship in the last couple of episodes before that between him and his daughter. And then it all looks like it's going to fall apart again based on both of their actions, not meshing together. And then he finally does the thing he needs to do and actually is a father, not just like the making sure she's fed or like shows up to school on time and all that stuff, which he also hadn't been doing prior Mm -hmm. to the start of the show. But those are the easy things. Yeah. Being a father he wasn't doing in any real or meaningful way. And he finally does it. And that looks like that's, what's going to be what pushes away for good. When like she's wanted him to be a father for the past year, she's grieving too. Yeah. And then to end with the laugh line of, well, I fucking love you. What <laughs> <laughs> after what was a pretty emotional scene? <clears throat> you know, it's, it's so good. Everybody is great. The performances are awesome. The writing is incredible. It's, it's just, it flows. The pacing is is perfect. It yes, flows very so might, so good. Might be its best quality, actually. Yeah, but I will say, in all of that, you would think like, wow, like this has, like all of these things are great, and they all obviously work great together. However, there is one piece of glue, and it's Gabby. It's <laughs> just an incorrect like, like I don't know why, but like there, like she manages to hold all of that together, like almost like this comedic narrator who is i feel like i don't maybe 
the most relatable person because it's like a little bit like a lot of the other trauma is 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 heavy in different ways whereas hers feels like a little not that it's less heavy but like easier to understand where you could probably relate with her the most as far as like these other characters well i also think they i think they trojan horse you with her because i don't really think you get to see any of her trauma until like literally the last two episodes yeah yeah that's 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 true but she, I, and she's just so she's so funny. Like, and it, I, I can't like anytime she's on the screen. You, I feel like you're just waiting for the next ridiculous thing out of her mouth. Sure. Um. I, I had I double took the first time where she she talks about the concept of safe dick. I was like, I'm yep. sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. Working class dick. Working. <laughs> <laughs> you know who's sneakily my favorite character in the show though? Liz. No, it's Derek. Oh, Derek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yep. in the first episode, I was like, oh, this guy's a prick. Yes. And it's, yeah. not, it's not even his fault. He's when, when you understand the situation he's in, and also how the whole first episode, everything about him is framed from other people's perspectives. Once yeah. his actual perspective is introduced in like the second episode, it's like, oh, no, this guy's awesome. This guy's gold. He keeps showing up for like one line at a time. Yeah. He has the weirdest happy-go-lucky attitude for like no good reason. <laughs> he's hysterical literally one sentence at a time because he'll yeah. like literally be wondering in the background of a shot like it almost wonders did he not realize he wasn't supposed to be on set while they were shooting the scene yeah and then a, like it is he is incredible someone turns their attention to him he pauses says his line and like that's it we're done with Derek we don't need Derek again for the rest of the episode doesn't matter he's he was fucking hysterical for those 10 seconds he was on his screen. his entire character is a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> Like it's it's perfect, and I just love maybe his best line in the show is when they're all when there's just way too much going on in in Jimmy's driveway, like and like there's so many characters involved, and the dialogue is delivered in such an incredible rapid fashion, but it's all perfect, and everybody's going after each other and taking jabs. It was like Sorkin-esque. Yeah, and the way Liz makes a comment to Pam. Derek drives by in this car. You need help over here? No. Oh, hey, Pam. No, we're not so hated, Pam. Eat a bag of dicks, Pam. And then he drives away. <laughs> drives away 30 feet into the driveway. <laughs> Again, in the background of the shot. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's or, Yeah, when they're having the barbecue and he's just cutting the bushes. He's trimming the bushes. Oh, hey, guys. What's going on? I didn't invite him. <laughs> Should we invite him? Honey, would you like to come over? Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Um, Sean's story is like is the one where I feel like you're like like so invested, which I think by design, right? Like he's the one. It's like got the most mystery around it. He's the person that Jimmy is really trying to help, and I love. I I just I think that um, he's too that another. All of these performances are great, but like although they just, weirdly kind of backburnered his story for the last two episodes. I mean, we got a little advancement with them getting the the, the catering. The, the loan for that, but like up until that moment, like there basically hadn't been anything tangible for like two episodes with him. Yeah. I it's tough to juggle I that many storylines in that short of an episode. I guess that's fair. And I think that the pacing of that, like if you really tried to tackle everyone's story every episode, it mm-hmm. wouldn't work. So I think it is by design that some people, like I said, Gabby, we mostly get like the fun stuff early on. Yeah. As they're setting up like very slowly what's going to come with that versus like Sean you get a ton in the first couple episodes and like mm-hmm. you kind of pulled off the reins a bit in the last couple episodes I'm sure we'll probably get back into that I think this week is the finale yeah it is um 
The Liz, don't raw dog me in public again. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that's so actually what I meant that's what just popped into my head, but what I actually wanted to go back to was Safe Dick, where she's explaining it to uh where Gabby's explaining it to Paul and he's like, So is my doctor safe dick? <laughs> Yes. Cool. <laughs> I thought he was going to try to like bring it out and instead he just keeps it with the same like generic of oh so my doctor is safety. Yeah, I guess there is cool. There well, is something wonderful about his character being what like what you assume to be an old man set in his ways and he is to a degree but he's also able to learn new things which it's it's like, it doesn't want to change but only some very specific things. Right, like he doesn't want to change how he does things. But he's open to understanding what the new things are. <laughs> What's well, a legitimate plot twist with him at the in the end of the last episode? Oh, gen- we gen- uh, we had called that one uh, as soon as as soon as his daughter mentions the time and when the or like when the uh, when the kids play is uh, it was just like oh okay he's gonna he's gonna go there. Well, what got me was they were juggling two different storylines because yeah. they set you up for. He doesn't have the bravery to bring his safe dick doctor to Vegas with him. Mm-hmm. And he makes that leap, but it ends up not being to go to Vegas. That's yeah. the part that I thought was actually really cool. Really, how, how really well it. done, too. It's just, ah, it's so good. Also, um, we didn't talk much about Alice, who is just, I mean, he talked a little bit about Jimmy being a dad, but like, obviously, like, counterpart would be Alice and think that that relationship is very believable in this scenario too. And then, but just Liz is so funny as well. Everybody's so funny in their own way. Well, this is Ga- great. Gabby is, is top tier, but everybody is really funny. Liz is great. She does like the yeoman's work. She does this kind of the dirty, like it's funny when you said like kind of like the, who's the glue in the show. I actually think it's think Liz, Liz because yeah, she true. has to do kind of the, a lot of the thankless work in mm-hmm. this show, both on screen and like in a more structural sense. She's yeah. the perfect person for it. That that's Bill Lawrence's wife, like in real life, like that whole thing is like a, it's cool how they work together um, because she was great in scrubs too. playing. Mm-hmm. There's some similarities between Jordan and Liz, yeah. but they're not the same person at all. Um, but uh, <laughs> the most unlikely friendship, her and Gabby, Especially so in the way that everything starts off, and it's end up becoming somehow the most wholesome relationship in the yep. whole show, <laughs> which has been really entertaining. <laughs> and the and Brian being like, "I don't like this. I don't like this." <laughs> he he's also like, I, I don't know if you've seen him in much, but he was in that Christmas movie that we've watched a couple times in a row, a couple years in a row now, single all the way, which is just so, so good. Uh, I, I think this is the only thing I've seen him in. I, oh, you should definitely watch that one. He's very funny. And uh, another, another great relationship. Also his whole, everything goes my way spiel is great. And that him and Jimmy are so believable as best friends in the way that they have their moments on screen together. Like when they finally reconnect again, and finally, like the question is asked, is like why? Like why? Like you, I need you to explain to me, like what happened? Like I yeah. was there for you, and then all that. Um, and like my wife died, and uh, you were telling me like everything, like you know everything's gonna be okay. Like I just needed to grieve, and like not not be told that it's gonna be okay, or that everything, like not have somebody around me that's constantly saying everything goes my way. With the pause, the understanding, and then we go. Well, I said everything goes my way, not. <laughs> 
I also really like his relationship with Paul. Um, yeah. Where he, he keeps calling Kevin. him Kevin. Kevin. Yep. His name's not Kevin. <laughs> um, That's a little joke between us that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. That was a lot of time on shrinking, but it is excellent. Worth it. Totally worth yeah. it. Yeah. Highly um, recommend. Obviously, I'm watching Mando and finish The Last of Us, but we'll talk more about that in the post credits, as well as Head Lasso, which we I, we rewatched seasons one and two, mm-hmm. and um, which led right into when we finished season two. It was actually the day before season three was supposed to start, and they aired it early, so or they released it a day early, so we were able to just go right into it and watch it. Did they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even see that announcement. I didn't watch it until the day. Yeah. Th- that Wednesday, I didn't get to watch this week's yet. But so, uh, that that was cool. Um, oh, already great. I just love, I mean, I love that show so much. Yeah. So everybody's great. Um, what else you got? What else you consuming? Well, I guess we could probably talk some more now about Hogwarts Legacy because yeah. obviously I made a huge leap like the last two weeks. Um, just speaking from the perspective of our last recording, uh, obviously I talked to you about it a lot. Um, when we saw yeah. each other for the Oscars, um, but then you made a, big chunk into it, it sounds like, too, the last time I'd talked to you, so um, I, I'm guessing I'm probably still a fair bit ahead of you. But I think so, yeah. But um, it's nice that we're both like really fully sunk our teeth into it. I think actually I was playing a little bit, I got done with work pretty early today, which is nice because I was done like crazy late the last two nights. Um, so I, I played a little bit because I hadn't played in a few days and uh, I learned the last two spells uh, the core spells, like I got the achievement for learning all the core spells. Cool. Um, <clears throat> one of the last two spells you learn is Transfiguration, and it is a combat spell that when you are in the middle of a fight and you use it, you will turn your enemies into an object. Cool. That you can then throw it. Throw it. Other people. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. I think one of the upgrades in the talent thing is any enemy turns into an exploding barrel. Okay. So that has its utility, but I kind of like the idea of I'm fighting and it just turns into like maybe this guy who was trying to kill me turned into a rock who I throw at his friend, or <laughs> I don't know, maybe he turns into a chicken. Who cares? Like it doesn't matter. Like it, turning it into anything would I think be worth like the laughter factor of it. I just mm-hmm. can't believe that that's the combat spell they chose. <laughs> it's, a, it's really funny. The I have I'm definitely like I'm super into it. I, it's got it's gotten to the point where like I it, like I want to sit down with it like. I'm thinking about that game when I'm not playing it. Like I want to, I want to go deeper into the story, figure the things out, do all the side. I find the side quests to be fun. Like I, it's just because play the actual minute to minute gameplay is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I most, just most get, of the fetch quests, like even the fetch quests, like some of them have like legitimate stuff to do. Like some of it's like, okay, yeah, yeah I just went and I fought some people, I grabbed a thing, came back fine. But some of them have like, entertaining the twists on that which is what keeps you actually engaged yeah, in doing all the side quests for sure and the only thing so far that's been i i've i just got to the room of requirement which i felt brought my momentum to a screeching halt which was bothersome it does for I five minutes I... but after that <clears throat> everything opened back actually you're gonna have expansions to that like if, yeah. if i showed you what mine looks like versus what you, yours looked like when you first show up it's like wildly different yeah, I have like I've got like two gigantic rooms now that I can use. I don't know. It's weird. But basically what what bothered me was like okay, I got in there, I get the concept. Cool. This is a room I can decorate, there's utility. I'll have a place that I can consistently go to do potions. Well, when they were showing you the, the when they were showing you the decorations thing, I was like, okay, I don't really want to do this. But then once they showed you like, oh, you can set up 
things to grow plants and make potions. Like, okay, now I get it. But even still, I was like, this is a lot for what's not super important. But yeah, when they open up the beasts thing, that's Mm. really what it's for. Okay, I now have three wings devoted to animals too. Okay, that's cool. Because, like, the thing that was bothering me was, like, okay, I get it. Like, I can customize it. I can place things. I can move things around. I can take things down. Awesome. And then it's, like, okay, now go talk to the person about doing this. And it's, like, okay, hit this button to make things be- bigger. Okay, now go talk to this person. Okay, you could rotate things. I was, like, this yeah, is, that, this that is too much tutorial for this feature that I'm not going to use except for what I need to use it for. Yeah, I'm not big on, like, that that sort of stuff. Like, it's nice to have, but, like, I... yeah. Like some you people you will don't love actually, that, and I get that. Yeah, it's not for me. But like, yeah, it's like you don't actually live there in real life. So like, like no. the personalization is not super important. But like, I, I didn't use a ton of like the potions early on in the game because they're expensive to buy. It's expensive, or like you have to waste a lot of time like collecting the stuff to make them for yourself. But now that I can make them like with impunity, I can use them a lot more, which opens up the combat a lot more and is actually sure. super necessary. Is, like you're now fighting higher and higher. Like some of these fights like take a while. Yeah. And like you may need to use a couple of potions or throw a bunch of cabbages at someone. Sure. And so like, you can it. just keep growing cabbages, which is great. I do. I do love throwing a, a vicious cabbage at people. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Fun. It's the most ridiculous thing. I love it. I it's so stupid. I will say I, I mentioned to you, but I've only, I only can't have come across one bug in the game that was really irritating to me, which was during the third round or like, what was at the time the final round of Dueling Club, um, my target lock wasn't working, like, at all, where it would either not engage or it would engage, but it would be attacking somebody. It would be locking onto random other people that weren't the person I was targeting, and not consistently, so, like, I couldn't even predict anything. Mm -hmm. And that got really old really fast. And it wasn't like a... Every time I, I I died multiple times doing that because I was getting locked into weird scenarios. And then, but every time I started it, it was the same deal. It was like broken in a different way. And I was Hmm. like, this doesn't make any sense. But um, I just had to abandon it, which made it a little bit difficult because it's the tight quarters. Like in those tight quarters, I actually do like the target lock because it's easier for me, like, like potion sickness wise, like not have to deal with trying to angle around things. Um, But I got through it, and it hasn't happened since. So. In Big Encounters, I realized that this game, to me, plays almost exactly like uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy game, where it's just a lot of me running and rolling as there's 47 people shooting at me. Yeah. And um, I don't always find the target lock actually super helpful, unless mm. the only time I actually really use it in those types of fights is when I've hit a couple of people and I've gotten someone's health really low. I'll snap that person just to take them off the board. And yeah. then I'll usually disengage it so I can go back to my more amorphous freeform because I'm comfortable getting to within the battle flow and I'll just keep rolling and blocking until I can really seize on the advantage. I'm okay mm-hmm. with being patient like that. Um, and I, the target lock actually distracts me from doing that. I like to target lock the tank that you're fighting in a group and take yeah, them all that's the way not always, the board before. Not every fight has that. Sometimes it's like a bunch of more or less equally powered <clears throat> people yeah. but like when you get into a fight like doesn't happen super often but if you get into a fight where it's like a troll and other things i guess that could be useful but actually i always look at it the, the other way i usually try and kill all the minions so i can give my undivided focus to mm. the troll 
or whatever, like in any sort of game, any type of fight like that. I usually try and get all of the other ones because the other ones just get obnoxious and they get yeah, paper cut you to death. I'd rather devote my sole focus to fighting that one thing at the end. I try to take down people with a red shield first because I find that those spells take the longest to regenerate. Uh, yeah, I guess they do. But otherwise, it's it's fine. It's either it's my only complaint, and it's it's only happened in the one scenario. It hasn't been an issue since. So, so what I um, what I found so compelling about this game is like the gameplay is a lot of fun, and there's yeah. enough variation. Like yeah, like at a certain point, once you fought a lot of people, and like you've kind of figured out what style of play works for you, you know, go through a lot of counters similarly. Although I've now built myself three different move sets. Um, what's taken. To this point, I hadn't been super comfortable switching to them in the middle of a fight because I always forgot which direction, and I'd like switch it to my like utility one, and it's like, fuck, I can't actually do anything now. Yeah. And then I panic, like, oh god, which direction do I go on the D-pad to get back my combat set? But now I have pretty like three pretty well-defined combat sets. Sure. That I feel comfortable, even if I switch to the one I didn't want, at least I'll be able to do something with it. Yeah. Which makes it even like, and I only just started doing this, so. Like, we're getting comfortable doing it. So, like, that has introduced, like, a new way to give myself a little variety that keeps things a little fresher because... Cool. Like, I have one set that's got two, uh, like, heavy, like, damage spells and one of each of, like, the force and control. I have one that's got two force, one control, one damage, and then I have one that's two control, one... Like, so it gives you variety. Like, if you go into a fight where there's one red shield enemy, one blue shield enemy two yellow shield enemies you can go in with the two control spell set in that yeah. which is is cool plus it also just gives you like the variety like if you fight like i want my one that's heavy damage if i'm fighting a troll because the force and control don't really work too much on those but if mm-hmm. i'm fi- facing a ton of minions force and control aren't terrible ways to go about that and also could be a little bit more like just like entertaining way to do it yeah so that part's been cool so the combat gives you enough variation the traversal stuff. I love cruising around on my broom. Um, it's like, like not that it, the controls aren't great, but it's fine. It's still like fun and entertaining enough. But what the, the combination of like the progression and story, the story is good. The side quests and characters stories are also very strong and they support the main story mm-hmm. in a really solid way, even though, there's plenty of them that don't involve with it, but there's enough of them that do that makes them feel essential to you, but also like you wouldn't it wouldn't be the end of the world if you had to skip one of them. Right. But what has really kind of set this up above being kind of like a seven type of game is I love like all the characters. Yeah. They're all really well written. Even the mm-hmm. ones that you like I've only talked to like three times at this point in the game. Like you talk to enough of your different classmates and the way they kind of pace it out, like you get the sense of being in a class with a bunch of people where it's yeah. like, oh, hey, like, like now is the time where I've, I've spent a lot of time with Sebastian, but like now I've spent a lot of time with Poppy or now I've spent a lot of time with Natty. And like, you keep coming back around to those characters throughout it. Mm-hmm. And even the professors, like, even the ones who like maybe seem like kind of a dick at first, like even they have like some pretty compelling like conversations at some point or other. There's like amongst the main group of characters, not talking about like enemies, there's basically only one unlikable character. And also I haven't seen him in like 20 hours and it's the yeah. headmaster who is yeah. a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll find out on the well, back end of this that he actually isn't that big of a dick. Of course. Um, but 
everyone else, even like Professor Sharp, at first I was like, oh, he seems kind of like a prick. I actually found him really compelling. He's like yeah. a, a cool, interesting character who's like kind of got a heart of gold once you find out what his like story is about. Like he's just kind of he's had a tough life, like a good life. Yeah. He was an horror. He saw some shit, obviously. But like he's a good dude. He just doesn't have a lot of time for bullshit. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's really it, it really is good. It, it, you know what? They really capture the feeling that I get when I watch those movies or read those books of like I like the world is so well like it's so realized. That, yeah. like, when you're in there, they do such a good job with this game of really feeling immersed in, like, I could spend time running around Hogwarts or the grounds or what I prefer outside. Like, it's just, like, there's so many cool things to see. Um, I think my favorite thing so far has been stumbling across, um, like, a dungeon and then going into that and, like, spelunking and, like, getting a bunch of chests and killing a bunch of random enemies and figuring out the secrets like i'm loving that the merlin trials are like these silly little mini games like yeah it's it's awesome i know it's funny i and i was gravitating more towards character and so for me it's chasing down all of these like relationship quests Mm -hmm. and all the conversations with other people because i really like pretty much all like i would say like amit's kind of whatever like i not dislike him but he's kind of just whatever yeah but like Sebastian at first was like, oh, okay, like typical like smug Slytherin. It's like, oh no, like I really like yeah. Sebastian. And then that story is taking a whole turn at the stage where I'm at. Natty's cool, like hearing about her background. Uh, yeah, I, I feel I, like that's the that's the one I've been diving into the the most because that's the one that I that's the path that I kind of chose early on was to focus on that character. Okay, so I, I yeah, I did the same where I when they give you the choice to go to Hogsby with someone, that's who I chose. So you dive into that character yeah. earlier on and like. And when you like follow that pathway, you also get thrown in the path with Ominous, um, who at first I was really not a fan of. And then when you get more of his story, it's like, oh no, now I understand why you are the way you are. And like his his backstory is tragic, and like you find out like, oh, he seems like a dick early on. It's like, no, he's like a really good person who's been thrown into a terrible, terrible situation. Hmm. Um, and watching the three of you become friends and watching the internal struggle that happens amongst all of that relation, those relationships um, has been really compelling so far. And is, is actually become like a really rich storyline that actually doesn't necessarily have a ton to do with the main story, but it feels as, as essential, mm-hmm. which is, is really cool. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really well done game. It's really yeah. well written actually, which big, I was surprised by. For sure. Um, the, I do love, I do love when my, my meter is full and I could, I could do LBRB at the same time and do something ridiculous to an enemy. Like grabbing a troll's club and smacking it upside his own head or. Or shrinking a spider down to the size of a small spider and then stepping on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I have, actually, I don't think I've used it a ton on the spiders. Uh, calling that I used it on the strike. really big ones. So that was fun. Yeah. I know you're not big on spiders. Yep. Um. Those like Sentinel, those uh, 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 Jedi Fallen Order Sentinel characters that you, if you use the LBR beyond them, it takes the sword and then throws it at them and it just cuts them in half. I'm like, that yeah. was awesome. Or like occasionally you'll get lucky and you'll hit the lightning strike one that kind of does damage to everything it seems like, but yeah. like really knocks one of them out. It's awesome. It's really fun. Also, <clears throat> Expelliarmus on the Sentinels. Yeah, always. And then throwing their sword. So great. So great. <laughs> Throwing things in general because it knocks, it breaks all shields. Like it's, it's such a great 
Same back. thing if you like perfect time Protego, you like ricochet it back and break shields. Yes, I haven't figured out what I'm looking for for the perfect timing of Protego. I always hit it and I'm safe, but never parry. And I I haven't figured out like it's what. pretty similar to Fallen Order. I feel like the timing. I mean, like I don't always like. There's like kind of three conditions. There's like you protect yourself. There's one where like you see it like ricocheting and it buries it into the ground, and then there's mm-hmm. the one that like sends it straight back and like I have my talents upgraded in a way that when I do the stupefy counter, which I almost always do because there's like basically no downside to doing it. Um, I curse an enemy. Yeah. If I perfect time it, I get an area effect blast out from me. Hmm. Um, and also I think I have another one that like, if you perfect time it and it hits the enemy, there's some sort of like ricochet effect too. Like it's made my like block parry like really devastating. So like my punch counter punch nice. is really strong now. There's something about the design language of that golden circle around you that I'm not, I, I just haven't connected the dots on yet. Cause I'm always too stressed out in a fight to like pay attention to what it's actually doing. Whereas like in Jedi fallen order, it feels more natural to me because like I'm physically blocking when it is the closest to me without hitting me, like which makes sense to me visually. Well, so that's the thing is the yellow, the yellow thing, the yellow circle just gives you the prompt. You're being attacked. Yeah. But you still treat it the same way as Fallen Order where right before it gets to you, I mean, you have to engage it a little faster to read it, but like if you wait to do it until you see them cast a spell, that will give you the personal. Okay, so you're you're looking for the character's actual wand versus the circle, some some indicator in the circle. So basically, what I do is the circle. This is why I don't like the target lock. I actually don't spend a lot of time looking at the enemies. I'm looking at myself because hmm. it allows me to see the meter when I know I can use my powerful spells, and as soon as I see the yellow thing. I can look up real quick and see who's attacking me. And if I see them, that allows me to perfect time it. But the thing is, like, you get the sensor, and if someone off screen is doing it, you'll still block in time to protect yourself. But if there's someone within your field of vision, you usually can tell which of them is... When you see the yellow thing, it just means you're getting attacked. Mm. But you can usually tell who it is who's attacking you, because you'll see them making the motion to do it. Okay. So that's the best way I can describe it. It's one of the things I would probably have to show you more than explain it. I just have to actually relax and pay attention when I'm fighting versus trying to very quickly block. Which is why I said, like, I find the target lock distracting because I feel like when I play this game, I need to be within myself, which is like I said, I'll have the patience to run and roll and run and roll and block and run and roll without even attacking necessarily. Mm -hmm. Or like, I might just throw like a bullshit basic cast, but like, I'll just keep doing that until I feel myself fully within the flow where I can punch counter punch and know yeah. that I'm protected. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. Well, Hogwarts Legacy, great game. Ton of fun. Really, really enjoying it. Uh, what else are you consuming? Uh, so I started this week. I had sent, I think I sent something to you. I know we talked about it and I sent it to, to, to Dominic and um, Nelson because the two of them played Fallen Order. But I said something to them a few weeks ago about the book Battle Scars, which you talked earlier, is the book that is the bridge between Fallen Order and Survivor. 
So I started reading it this week. Uh, mostly, it was, yeah, Monday and Tuesday, but most of it yesterday. I, I actually, I probably made it about 40% of the way through the book. So um, I'm going to say something about the book. I'm going to give you my impression of how I feel about it almost halfway through. I'm going to say a thing. I'm going to let you process it. Respond to it however you want. I'm going to totally lay out once I say it, okay? Okay. Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars. Horniest book ever. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm being dead right. serious. Okay. I was so, so unprepared. Around. No. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... No. <laughs> I, was, I was so unprepared for how horny this book was. Oh, my God. <laughs> now... Star Wars, they've done a lot of books since, I mean, they, they obviously the expanded universe, there was a million of them, right? But since Disney bought it and they put it all into one like branch and like they said, okay, everything back then, not canon, everything we write from now on, canon in support of the universe, connectivity, continuity, all that stuff. Great. Mm-hmm. They spent a ton of time with those books in the High Republic, which is kind of the era they're focusing on. I think we're supposed to get a game in that. Eventually, I'm sure we'll get Possibly, probably shows and movies on that too. That seems to be more like a mid to long term plan, right? Because most of the present day stuff is still right before the original trilogy or right after the original trilogy. Yeah. I haven't read any other books. I don't know what to expect from any of those. I wouldn't say any of the main saga was in any way, shape, or form horny. Like, yeah, like we got some Anakin being in love with Amidala, and that's great. For the most part, I wouldn't say horny, though. No. Right? Um, really nothing. Anakin's ever. more horny for murder. Yeah. Young, um, killing younglings and, and slaughtering people like animals. Yeah. Um, more so than like actual horniness. But yeah. No, I won't. I don't want to spoil in any way, shape, or form if you want to read it or if anyone else wants to read it. I will just say that early on in this book, the main group of the Stinger Mantis, the four people we know and love, Grease, Seer, Marin, Cal, they hit a big Haxian brood base. They find that they're in league with the Empire, which was a surprise to everyone. A stormtrooper says they want to defect. One of the four of them develops such an all-consuming crush on this stormtrooper that... I was laughing listening to the book because it was so overtly descriptively and unnecessarily horny. I just was so floored and unprepared for it. Amazing. <laughs> it's uh, baffling. Uh, now, the, the book's good. I've been enjoying it for the most part, but there was a certain point where I was like, okay, enough. Like, either fuck or, like, let's move to the next thing. Like, we we don't need... 40 straight minutes of you talking about how attracted you are to this person. It's okay. We can get back to that again later. Like it doesn't need to be 40 straight minutes. Like we can, we can get back to that. If that's the way you want to go, it's fine. Just like, let's, let's move on. Let's move on and advance the plot a little bit. Uh, Until I read the book, I'm just going to assume that it's BB. What a BD one. BD one. I'm sorry. I didn't even mention it as part of the group. That's right. Uh, Also, I appreciated that. um, Canon. The boggling that's stowaway, still on the ship. Amazing. <laughs> you hear that noise? Something's in here. <laughs> well, it's great because no one ever like mentioned it like directly or saw it or whatever. They they now acknowledge that it exists. It's five I years know. later. It's still on the ship. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's, 
That's so great. Grease is probably feeding it. I don't know if they ever talked about it in that way, but like they do end up in getting into like evasive maneuvers and like they get hit pretty hard and like all of like the anti-gravity, like, or like the, the artificial gravity, like generator conks out and like they all go like flying and <laughs> like someone like, cause they, most of the, each of the four main characters gets perspectives. Like obviously Cal is okay. the most, but like each of them gets perspectives. It's not even chapter by chapter. Like it kind of, depending on what surface of the plot they're doing. They okay. jump to it. And what the kind of cool thing is it's like it's third person. The narration, even though it doesn't take on the voice of that character, it takes on like the cadence and like thought process of the character, which okay. is actually kind of a cool way to write it. I feel like that's yeah. not always the case, how that would go. That's um, pretty sweet. And one of the characters is looking around the crash and like comments on the fact that the boggling has, which is typically sneaking around here or there, is currently tied up in the mess of people that is <laughs> Cal and Seer and BD. <laughs> Amazing. Greasy money. Exactly. What else are you consuming? Um, am I consuming anything else? No, actually, I think uh, everything else basically that I've been consuming is uh, what we'll talk about uh, in the post credit. So cool. I've got two more before we move on uh, to our final segment. Uh, firstly, I've made some more progress in Ashes of the Sun. I think I had described to you before that there is these two characters that are basically on a collision course and yeah, you're just waiting just... for it to happen. It has finally happened. It's about time. And uh, it was as complex as you would expect it to be considering they're on opposing sides of society. Uh, so it's, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, they're doing a good job. Some big things are happening. I really am enjoying it. It seems... It's weird. Occasionally the book seems really well paced and then sometimes it doesn't. And I'm like, sometimes I feel I, I'm reading it and I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, this is like, I'm so <laughs> pumped. And then there's other times where I'm like reading it and I feel like I'm rereading the same pages because I'm like, like, what, 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 like, what is, why, what's happening? Like, what, like, and, and, and it's not that often and it's not that bad. It's just like, it's a little bit, it feels a little inconsistent where it's almost like the, it might be a little, too long for its own good with the story that it's trying to tell. Mm. Um, but not terribly. So it's like, it would not, I would knock off like maybe a quarter of a point. Like, it's not like that bad. It's just something that I've noticed. And it also has to do with my cadence of reading it uh, over a long stretch of time. Yeah. However, I am kind of excited that the one, the next one seems a little bit more concise, which I feel like will help with this concern that I have. So we'll see where that goes. It's not uncommon for someone to write a book and then figure out how to be a little bit more efficient the next time around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but anyway, it's, it's, I'm, I'm still very much enjoying it. Uh, and finally, the other night, um, my dad came over and we watched a movie. Uh, well, everybody else was out. So he came over, we, we, we hung out, we had some Chinese food, delicious Chinese food, went downstairs, got the room set up for a nice movie viewing, then went through that, ridiculous process of scrolling through every streaming service to decide which movie we we're going to watch before landing on. G- g- give me guess a genre. Oh, I was just going to guess quantum masala, but no, no, we actually, we, we almost watched casino Royale though. Okay. Guess a genre of movie. Silent films. No, <laughs> was a good guess. Um, it was a Western. We watched a Western. I, okay. and it, because he wanted to watch, Silverado, which 
he was explaining to me as one of his favorites mm. and I had never seen it before nor heard of it. And I was like, that, well, I've heard the name, but like, I don't know anything about it. I was like, okay, cool. We went to look it up. Sure enough, it's one of the ones that's not available on anything except we could have bought it, but he was, he was, he was adamantly like, no, like we have all of, like you have all of these things and all of these movies. We're not buying one right now. <laughs> like we just, we're just going to watch something. So like, it's like, cool. We'll watch that one other day. Um, <clears throat> we ended up watching 310 to Yuma. Okay. I never you seen saw this? It. No, I, I know the movie, but I never saw it. So, really, really good performance on Christian Bale's part. Mm. Um, I know he's a good actor. I've liked him in things. He breaks through a little bit different in this movie in a way that, like, like, oh, you're you're showcasing some stuff. Like, and I, I appreciated that. Uh, Russell Crowe. Also good, um, a little campy, but like kind of intentionally so with the character that he's playing. Overall, an entertaining movie. Westerns are entertaining. They're just, they're just, I feel like they're not tens, but like they're like, I feel like they're solid sevens, the ones that I've seen in a way that like. I'm not I'm big on Westerns this. myself. No, mm-hmm. I, I, the ones that I've seen, I've, I've had fun with. I don't like, then I, I don't plan on rewatching them, except for maybe Magnificent Seven, which I maybe would be like an eight. I don't really know. It's just I just really had fun with that one. But I find them I find them fun and there's like there's like some some plucky dialogue and like they're all the same story. Um and it's and it's whatever. But it was like it was an entertaining watch. It, nothing nothing groundbreaking going on in the movie. In fact, more so a, a little bit confusing as like when you get to the end you're like wait, but why any of this? Um <laughs> But I'm not going to worry too much about that because the ride was fun. Yeah. So uh, Alan Tudyk showing up. <clears throat> Love him. Oh, I don't know. Uh, so. Plays the doc. Uh, who, okay. So, and as that leads me to, I will say uh, what we could actually put on this list perpetually is Zootopia and Frozen because those are the two movies that <laughs> Elio requests a lot. Um, and Coco and Encanto. Those are, right now, those are, those are his top five movies of all times. Also the only five movies he's ever seen. <laughs> I the uh, so there's something really weird. So Alan Tudyk makes an appearance in a lot of um, voice roles. He's mm-hmm. he's a he's a very prolific voice actor, and in Frozen he plays the Duke of Wesselton. Oh, I didn't realize okay. he was in that. And at the end, they call him they call it Weasel Town, and he corrects them, and he goes, "It's Wesselton." Um, that's the, it's just a still, it's a silly line, whatever. Yeah. In Zootopia, he plays a character called Duke Weaselton <laughs> and someone calls him Wesselton and he goes, it's Weaselton. <laughs> and I'm just like, what, well, that's fine. what is happening here? <laughs> what is this frozen Zootopia crossover? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's kind of a funny wink. It's a weird little thing that I noticed the other day. I was like. <clears throat> I well also the voice is unrecognizable. He's really good. He can yeah. he can do some. So like the other day is when I had noticed that the, the line and I was like, well that's funny. I was like, what like Duke what Duke of Weston Duke Weaselton and like and the same inverse line of like no it's Weston no it's Weaselton. I was like that's oh that's really silly. And then I was like I wonder who plays this. It kind of sounds like a Steve Buscemi like. And then I found out it was Alan Tudyk. I was like oh that's that's a pretty good. I would have never guessed it was him. Uh, this, is, this is good. And then I was like, I wonder who plays the Duke of Wesselton. And when it was him, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's just everywhere. But good times. 
I think with that, it is time for our flick of the week. Elvis, released in 2022, rated PG-13 with a 2 hour and 39 minute runtime. Your IMDb synopsis. The life of American music icon Elvis Presley, from his childhood to becoming a rock and movie star in the 1950s, while maintaining a complex relationship with his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Just realized that there's more. (laughs) Nope, there's not more. That's weird. It said more. I clicked it, it opened, and there was nothing else. Okay. Well, there was that stray period at the end of the sentence. That True. <laughs> That's fair. Tom Parker. Period. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Pretty uh, <laughs> pretty much a breakdown. Just Elvis. It's about Elvis. That's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Al, why don't you give us your two-line review? While Lerman's sensationalist style is a perfect fit for the excesses of Elvis's life and meteoric career rise, his meandering plot structure detracts from the narrative tension of the story, causing in- inconsistent pacing. 6.5 out of 10. Hmm. I now have a much higher regard for Elvis and an elevated level of concern for Tom Hanks. 6 out of 10. <laughs> uh, I agree. I, I, you know, after I was done watching it, my first thought was, I think that Elvis got kind of an unfair rap with how his career and life ultimately ended. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many jokes about him being fat and dying on the toilet. Yeah. And like, oh, like he was just like, the fame got to him. He was like a drug addict, blah, 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 et cetera, mm-hmm. and so on. Like, even if that's true, like there should be. Like, I get the jokes to an extent, but, like, the, there should be a level of empathy. Um, and when you see, and I'm assuming this is mostly accurate. Yeah. You see how manipulated he was from the outside, how taken advantage he was. Mm-hmm. It's a really sad story. I mean, like, he made mistakes in and of his own right, but uh, it's it's really hard not to feel for the guy and, and not feel no, yeah, for I- I completely agree. Like I never, I, I've never been a big fan of Elvis's music. I've also never been a huge fan of the phrase, well, you know, without so-and-so, there's no so-and-so. I don't think that that is a true statement. I think there's a correlation between those things, but somebody else would have done the thing. Um, that being said. How do you feel about the phrase Elvis has left the building? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, <clears throat> but that being said, what I got out of the movie was I still don't love I don't love his style. I do think that I was exposed to a few songs that I had not heard or known the history of before, which I I now have an, uh, a much higher appreciation for. And most of the songs um, in this were his big hits, though. I, I knew most of the songs. That he well, I think just like the like the protest song, for example, and like the the that the one way I wasn't familiar with. Here the portrayal, like around it, it was just wonderful. Um, yeah, but, I had no idea about that part of him. Yeah, and but I think what I what I ended up taking away was like, is he like is he like the the OG child star? I mean, yeah. To well, no, the the OG is um, what's her name from uh, Wizard of Oz. Mm. But from the music perspective, I think you're right. He's like the first like quote unquote teen pop star that like. Had his life careen out of control right. and all that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's and that's kind uh, of literally the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. Like get up, right? Like get the best of him. Like yeah, he's the first of those, at least to my knowledge, chronologically. Yeah, it's uh that part of it was 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 very sad, and also like <clears throat> it it makes sense like from that person like at, at, like that point in time like a very easy situation to manipulate him. Um, he doesn't know anything about this business, and like the business is up and coming. So like it's also makes it that much. So it's like almost like this. The dark part of this is like from the inception of this type of big business also comes the exploitation like hand in hand at the same time, and that's just like it's horrifying. Yeah. So even if he knew what he didn't know, even if he knew that he needed someone to like audit what was going on, mm-hmm. the business itself was so new that there wasn't anyone who would have been qualified. To yeah. provide that, like that bit of like truth to power there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> there was a like the. Yeah, I don't know. It was. It was. It was heavy. There was like well, also one. I mean, not to take away from from Elvis himself, but like a lot of this was like oh, like this music that he he brought about, and it's like no, like I think there's a really. It's not. It's not highlighted enough how much of like no, this music existed, and the only reason people started paying attention to it was because of this white man. Like, and I think that is something that like they didn't do enough justice. Like, because with some of the other things that they focused on, which I thought were good, I feel like they should have highlighted that a little bit more um, in the story. I don't know. I mean. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it was subtlety on Lerman's part. Hmm. And I'm saying I can't believe I say this because I didn't know he was familiar with the word. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, they kind of showed, not told, but they did some telling, too, because it's a big inflection point that he gets arrested for doing all those moves. And the fact that there's like this kind of McCarthy Red Scare-esque thing going on in Congress... Mm-hmm. over indecency on television and lumping him in with the black performers they were trying to suppress. Like, it's the middle third of the movie, but they spent a good amount of time on all of that. I, but I feel like the the narrative comes back to, like, him bringing this type of music about. No, I know, but, like, the, the connection... I mean, again, it was shown on television. I'm saying they didn't... I understand that they, they showed it, which I appreciate it, and they definitely, like... They, it was there. I feel like it could have been elevated a little bit more. Well, I think if they spend any more time on it, you get bogged down. Not an Elvis movie. Well, not only that, but you get bogged down. And, I, and I'm not picking a side here because I, I yeah. don't know that there is. The reason the debate continues to rage is because there is no clear cut answer. Like the both sides have legitimate points, mm-hmm. but you, if you spent more time, or if you got more explicit in all of that, you get bogged down into the continuous debate about whether or not it was cultural appropriation by Elvis, hmm. whether or not he was robbing from black artists or not, whether or not that art form gets elevated without him. Like, hmm. you, it's it's an unwinnable argument. So if you get any deeper into explicitly saying those things, that's where you end up, and then you don't have a movie. Mm, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, all in all, like the like, I, I feel like that. I'm just really, I just, I don't, I don't quite get, not quite. I do not get the Oscar nod. 
for I do. It's, it's not... F- the thing is... Uh, I heard someone say this a while ago when they were extolling the virtues of this movie. You're either a Lerman guy or you're not. Mm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I get it for the most part. I mean, some of his cinematography and the way that he chooses to arrange sequences and shoot certain things and kind of like a maximalist version of the Edgar Wright synergy of what you see and hear and how it incorporates and is incorporated by story and in service of character. I appreciate those things. Mm-hmm. Even in this movie and in his movies, like those are to his credit. Those are legitimately artistic, fantastic things. Like I really do like that. Mm-hmm. To me though, like as I alluded to in my review, if you're going to have this movie be almost three hours long and do this story, and you want to tell across such a long period of time of his life. I understand you're going to have like these cocaine rush things and you're going to have a montage and then you're going to kind of slow things down and let it breathe. But that just felt like it would come to a screeching halt and like you couldn't get the engine started up again. And so from there, like I think some better editing and direction is required. And to be fair, he's, he was nominated for best picture, not best director. Cause I would, mm-hmm. That would be egregious to me. Yeah. I don't think this should have won Best Picture. I think probably it was only nominated because it was an overall pretty weak field, which we've talked about over the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't object to it being nominated, even if I don't wholly agree with mm-hmm. all of that. Like, I can understand other people who rate some of those things I talked about earlier as being pros more highly than I do. I get why that would move to the level of. Like, this is art. I just didn't fully appreciate it myself. Sure. I Of the nominations, I, I definitely get Austin Butler. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was a hell of a performance. Um, we made a joke, I think it was last week, about editing and how, like, yeah, like, okay, it was up for editing. I was like, that, like, without having seen the movie, that makes sense to me. And then you made a comment about, like, is the lack of editing wor- like worthy of an award or something, something to that degree? And I, which I thought was funny at the time. And then when the movie started and we're about thirty minutes in, I'm like, we need to slow down or I'm going to throw up. Like, <laughs> like, it is just this is happening now. This is happening now. This is happening. I was like, Jesus Christ! I mean, the the, the scene of like, his first big show like that mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah, um, I think editing is. Maybe it's still a layman. It's one of those things I think it's noticeable when there's a lack of. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to point out spectacular examples of it. Like with action scenes, you could say, oh, well, that was cut together really well. Mm-hmm. But as far as like a whole piece of a movie, I find myself, I struggle at, at saying that was a fantastic job of editing. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for me to say, Oh, that was a bad job of editing. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> which is uh, which is what goes to show like we are amateurs ultimately. Yeah. Right? Like like I, I think that's probably the true assessment. Yeah, for that's that that's totally fair. Yeah, it's really funny. Um within that his first show and like then going on to like more shows, we get to the point of of women throwing their undergarments at him, right? And it happens once, then it happens again. Are those women's panties? <laughs> There's a there's a transition from all of that chaos to like more storytelling. And there's a moment where it gets quiet 
And Kim next to me goes, but are they taking it off or did they bring extras? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, but like not asking, I feel like not asking me directly was just kind of more rhetorical. The questions. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they all went full Hansel. <laughs> Oh man! Also, I flat out did not recognize John on the the topic of vaguely obscure Lord of the Rings actors. I did not recognize that the 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 kind of has been country star at the beginning was what's his name from the Lord of the Rings. It was David. Wedding. Yeah, I had no idea it was him until I looked at the cast list later. I same. I I had to look it up myself. Um, I was like, I do know the face though, and I couldn't like quite figure it out. Um, and uh, what was this? What was his son? Uh, what was that movie? From Power of the Dog. Oh my god. Just what. He, <laughs> Kim was actually on fire during this one because he showed up and she just went, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the least objectionable thing about that movie, probably. That's true. That's true. Um, also, I will say, despite not having a lot of time for this movie overall, I will always appreciate that this. Uh, Gave like birth the meme of when they first discover him and they're listening and the close up on Tom Hanks, he's white. <laughs> <laughs> that that became a part of the culture on Twitter and all that. It's hysterical. It, it's <laughs> you know. Uh, let's let's focus in on Tom for a second. Um, more specifically, the Colonel. I <clears throat> in the beginning, he does a lot of talking. He says a lot. Of things about being a snowman and about separating people from their money, which is the gist of it. I know. This confused you right. so much that you had to come to me in private and ask me, do you know what he's talking about? Right. And, and ultimately, we're going to get there. But So, like, he's he says it. And I'm like, okay, got it. This is like, when you're explaining something, you tell them the thing. And I feel like when you explain it, then you repeat it. And that's done, right? But he says the thing. I'm like, don't, okay. Don't define the word with the word. That's what he did. Right. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, cool. So what does this mean? <laughs> we you know, we do these 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 snow jobs, which he does de- he definitely says snow job more yep. than once in the movie. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, can't Google that. <laughs> um, and then he's he's going on and I'm just like, wait, but stop okay, you've now said it f- like f- easily 14 times. It, I still don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, the snowman's league of a, what? Okay, great. What are you talking about? And then I had to look it up and it was, it, I couldn't, I feel like I couldn't get a straight answer as to like the etymology of like, I, like it's a thing, sure. And it's a different time. So maybe the translation is also lost, but like, it was just too clunky. And I was like, I'm so, I'm still annoyed by it. Like, so, I get it. I get so, it. You're basically... You, you, he's a con you know, man. You're a con man. I, I understand that. But it's just like, just say, just own that. <laughs> so, what I will say is, yeah, I had never heard of anyone referred to as a snowman in that context. I've certainly never heard of a snow job. Hmm. What about the Snowman's League of America? Well, I, that, that can't be a real thing. <laughs> like Surely... Like the United Guild of Grifters, like it can't, yeah. like, it can't be a thing. Like, um, but I will say I have heard the phrase "someone got snowed," which is yes. obviously in reference to that. Yeah, but yeah, I've never heard someone refer to themselves as a snowman or anyone referred to as so, a snowman. 
the breakdown that I uh, eventually came to was like snowing some. It's it basically like overwhelming them with something so that they are avalanching them in grift. They're just gonna give you their money or something, and not like not basically. They're too overwhelmed with the thing, good or bad, that they don't realize what's happening to them. Yeah, it's an avalanche of grift. They're <laughs> separating themselves from their cash, but I just like stop calling it snowman. Like I don't understand. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, he wore oh, white suits. That prosthetic was, prosthetic was ridiculous that he had on his face. Wait, can we talk about Tom Hanks just a little bit more? Yeah. What I, What is going on with him? I don't know. He's a fantastic actor. He is. When did he decide to stop doing that? I don't know. I don't know. This was like, you don't accidentally do that voice and this style of this performance. Like, yeah, whatever, this was whatever decided that happens, upon. Whenever that happens, I always wonder. Is it the actor or is it the director? Like, yeah, I would have to assume that it's the director in this case. I want to assume it's the director because I like Tom uh, Tom Tom Hanks, and I'm not a big fan of Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, but I could be wrong because he's done like versions of that voice in other roles before. Hmm. Like when like he, it's not too different a voice from the voice of one of the aspects of Cloud Atlas. It didn't bother me in that movie. It's kind of the same character, actually. The the one with um, the uh, the composer, like the when yeah. he plays the landlord. It's kind of the same character to an extent, but it's also he has like four minutes of screen time, so it's not really offensive. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just that it's too much. I don't know. It was some something. It, there's a there's a huge disconnect with that character, and I don't, I can't reconcile it. What I will say though, are you having a little habanero? I was, which until I opened it. And took the first... Actually, it wasn't the first sip. It was like the third sip. I forgot that it was a spicy pumpkin beer. Yeah. I remember that it was pumpkin beer. I didn't really look at it when I grabbed it. I was like, oh, this is the voodoo that like Anthony told me to, to check out. The voodoo that you do so well. <laughs> exactly. I was actually watching that the other day. Um, <laughs> and then like I got to like, the third or fourth sip, and I was like, what's going on in my mouth? And I looked, and I was like... Atomic pumpkin. That's right. He did say spicy, <laughs> didn't he? So it is. It's a bit spicy. I have a non-spicy jalapeno lager in the fridge right now. That is absolutely fantastic. I'm sorry, non-spicy. Yeah, it's co- they completely de-seeded them before they use them in the brewing process, and they, it is all of the wonderful peppery, sweet peppery flavor of the habanero without the heat in the beer, and it is so freaking good. <laughs> um. Orange fat, orange cat, orange cat, something cat brewery. I don't know. <laughs> You'll find it. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I almost forgot what I was talking about. But mm. um, early on in the movie, I was a little afraid, considering it's from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker on that was his name, right? Tom Parker. Yeah. On his deathbed or whatever, and he's talking, and he's like really. Like covering his own ass in the narration, and I was like, "Wait, yeah. is this just going to be this thing that makes it like, no, I wasn't the bad guy?" Because he keeps like basically saying it throughout the whole movie. But even though he keeps like saying he's not the bad guy, they make it pretty damn clear he was. Mm-hmm. I actually appreciated that because for a minute there, I thought that was going to be a whitewash job, and I was like, "This snowman is white enough; he doesn't need to be whitewashed too." <laughs> so I was I was a little worried about that early on. I was glad no, that no, that the snow is definitely yellow. <laughs> He is piss. 
Um, <laughs> no, but no, yeah, he's, 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 he was a terrible, terrible character. I do the, uh, what, what was it? Over 50% of his earnings. Is that something like that? Of Elvis's earnings? What he, I think so. Cut, it's insane. Absurd. I mean, I'm glad his estate like sued him and like they won yeah, and all that, but me too. like it doesn't help him much when he's dead and he's no. f- fucking miserable and all that stuff. I think one of the, um, if you, if there is a moment in the movie or a decision made in the movie that, that actually elevates it to the point of being up for best picture, it is his, it is Elvis's final scene in the car with his wife where you're like, Oh, and we find, you know, it's basically towards the end of the movie. And then we're going to get like info cards and like some over over some scenery of like what happened. But like it's it's a few months or no, it's a few years. I don't remember after that scene that he dies. But like there's something so tragic about that where it's like, no, but he he died there. He died right there in the in the limo. Yeah, he kind of just went through the motions after. that, And I think that it was. I don't know. There was, it was something really like that, like the, that final like five minutes there, like was that was some really well strung together storytelling, and like even I don't know character capping. I'll say because it wasn't like develop. It was like so much. It was like putting. It was like putting a nice finishing touch on like where we were at. And I was just like, this was that that hit me. That was heavy. Yeah. Um, and then the transition from character to actual footage was really like okay there's your there is your editing chop right there right where you're like oh wait wait we've at some point we moved to actual footage and i don't know when it happened but wow (laughs) that was the only day they could get the editor in the studio yeah (laughs) um yeah it was also shocking watching all that um because it reminded me how much of a different time that was because he's like, oh yeah, like he doesn't feel great all the time. And it's like, well, yeah, he's he drank ninety six ounces of coke, the soda, not the drug, mm. but also well, at the time where there was coke in it, it wasn't that old. <laughs> that was in like nineteen twelve, not nineteen seventy. <laughs> he's he just drank because there was a the big coke. Big gulps. Gulps, yeah. The yeah. big gulps on top of the piano. Yeah, there's a lot. While his doctor is shooting him up with like a like a whole cocktail of things. And it's like, Mostly ah, it's fine. The doctor will make you feel better. <laughs> 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 it's like, man, that was a different time. Oh, just drink one of these. You'll feel better. Like yeah. six big gulps later. And it's like, also cocktail of drugs. There's Dr. Pepper. That's basically medicine, right? He's a doctor. He's a doctor. He didn't go to soda medical school for Doc- seven years. He's a doctor years. of peppers. He <laughs> goes <laughs> soda medical he's school. Pe- he's a pepper surgeon now. <laughs> uh, I like to think of myself that way when I'm chopping up a pepper. A pepper surgeon? Yeah. I've gotten really good. You know, at- surgeons, if they dice you, they've done their job wrong. No, but I'm, what I, here, here's where the magic happened. I've gotten so good over the years at at cutting peppers Slicing of this. like completely removing the seeds without any mess of mm. all of various types of peppers. And uh, maybe I am, maybe I am Doctor Pepper. <laughs> I am the Doctor Pepper. <laughs> oh man, 
Uh, do you have anything else? I mean, like it was. I don't really have much else. Like, I, like the the Tom Hanks performance is jarring and concerning, and then the Austin Butler performance is wonderful and so convincing, even if he still has the accent, which is weird. It is. I've. I think we've talked about it on the show before. I know I've talked about it just generally in the past. I always wonder how actors who can do a lot of different voices, if they lose track of their voice, like. Mm. I don't, like Alan Tudyk, I guess maybe he just settled on a voice. I don't know what the original voice was. Yeah. Because he does so many different voices. We talked about him earlier. Um, I thought about it with like Gary Oldman. He has done so many different voices when you talk about like the differences between like just regular old Gary Oldman voice versus Commissioner Gordon voice versus mm-hmm. John Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg voice versus like Winston Churchill voice. Like, you got to lose it eventually, right? Like, all of the many Tom Hardy's... Like, I know for a fact Tom Hardy's lost his voice. I yeah. I have not heard him sound the way he sounded in Inception since Inception. Yep. He hasn't done that voice in almost 15 years. That's kind of wild. And I'm pretty sure that's his voice. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> uh, like, so, like, uh, I am not surprised that someone would lose... Now, it's the first impression I'm aware of him doing Austin Butler, but... um. And I guess it's not the end of the world, but like, I can't imagine Fade Routha fighting Paul Atreides and sounding like Elvis. Like, it's going to be immersion breaking for me mm-hmm. later this year when Dune Part Two comes out, <laughs> and like he's got this weird Tennessee twang. Like, I just don't. I can't. No, whatever that. voice he comes up with for that character will be his voice until his next role. I I don't know. He's still doing red carpet interviews at the Oscars and he sounds like <laughs> fucking Elvis. <laughs> they already been shooting that movie. I think like they think principal photography's done on that movie. It comes out Yikes. later this year. Yikes. That is so weird. Huh. We'll see what happens. The only other thing I want to highlight just because we didn't talk about it anyway is I, I did appreciate some of those other like shows from early on in the in the movie. And I was not expecting to see, just because like I, I don't know the history, um, the Little Richard performance in a little club mm. and watching him just go absolutely nuts like that. Like I know yeah. that he had like some serious like histrionics and went over the top in his performances, but like that was an incredible performance. Yeah, it was really actor. it was really good. That was a really cool scene to see that like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh well. I think we are finally closing the books on the 2023 Oscars. It's probably for the um, best. We're probably not going to do anything else from those categories. So, uh, I mean, unless we, at some point we'll eventually, do eventually we'll do Avatar uh, uh, when it. I finally yeah. get to see it. But yeah. Um, cool. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Flicks in a Six. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to flicksinasix at thespintune.com. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Al Bielsi. Thanks for coming out. Last the lasto, the lasto watch. The the lasto word on the Mando watch. Ted lasto watch. Okay. <laughs> the lasto word on the what was it? <laughs>
<laughs> the last word on Mando Watch. Mando Watch. All right, where do you want to start? Let's what? let's start with The Last of Us since it okay. ended. It was a few weeks ago now. Tell me your thoughts. So the series is over. Well, the series, the season is over. The first game is concluded. Yeah. So when we talked about it the last time, I don't remember if it was on the show or if it was when I when I was at your house because that night was the when the finale aired. Hmm. I said I was a little surprised. I, I didn't know if maybe they were going to push some of it off to the next season because it was my impression that they still had like a weird amount of material left. I was it turns out I was wrong. Although I remembered the broad strokes of this from Brian's review. Mm-hmm. I guess I thought it would take more time to get from where they were to when the procedure was going to get done and he breaks her out. Yeah. For whatever reason, I just, I thought there was more in there. And to me, it was a little shocking how abrupt this episode, like how abruptly this episode just gets to that. Yeah. Mm. And so like that, that explains why I felt like there was some sort of disconnect. Like, obviously there wasn't like, I knew there wasn't a season's worth of material, but like, to me it was like, Oh, it feels like there should probably be like, at least another whole episode, maybe. That's the material. I I would say, yeah, I, I totally I totally get that. I don't think that there needed to be a lot a lot more. I think that if this was a whole episode, it would have been a little. It was too short. It was forty five yeah. minutes. It was. I I feel like this, this could have dealt with. I mean, maybe they <clears throat> used up that allowance with having basically like two episodes for the first episode. But like, yeah, this, but this could have used minutes. Yeah, I was like, gonna say yeah, fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes more. Honestly. Yeah. Ultimately, it's just it's too quick from Joel getting Joel and Ellie finally back together and like then jumping immediately to them being separated again. Like they they could have stretched that piece of it out before being in the hospital. It almost um, felt like, you know, when you like you remember like gym class? Did you guys you guys have to like run the mile or whatever in gym class? No. No. Really? Yeah. You're only like a year and a half older than me, right? Two and a uh, half years older yeah, than me. I forget. Yeah, two years. I don't know. I'm 88. You're 90. That's how I look at it. So it's a year and a half, though. Okay. Yeah. So wait, you guys didn't have to ever run like not even in middle school or anything like no. that. No. So just because you were in the city, I don't understand. Probably. Well, I did K through eight at a Catholic grade school, which uh, didn't a- conform to any of the rules. That might be and part of it too, but still. then I went to high school where Jim was open voluntary. Like I, I you, <laughs> you really could just get away with doing nothing in gym. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, like participation was like very suggested, but like mm. you still have to like physically show up to the thing. Do you it. would think like you didn't have to try, but like you had to be there and do sometimes, it. Sometimes, sometimes no. Okay. Well, anyway. So maybe this is an analogy, but slightly lost on you. But I feel like it's one of those, like for me, like sometimes you would go out. It's like okay, we're gonna run the mile. Like everyone gotta get like warmed up, stretch up, like stretch out. Like let's we're gonna run the mile like soon. Okay, like so this is what we're doing for the mile. Gonna explain you to the mile. Go. It's, um, yeah. Can we get a countdown from three? Already set. Go. You've already hit the timer, and we're running. And it felt like that's what happened in this, mm. where it was like, oh, okay, here, here's the, the big conclusion. We're going to do this. And, oh, and Joel is just killing everyone because they're doing surgery on Ellie. And I was like, fuck, yeah. could you like, give me a little bit of preamble to that? So I agree. 
I agree. In the execution of the final episode, it like it, there's a disconnect there. Um, I will say I could see a scenario where they do this intentionally to for it to be kind of abrupt and for you to be like, wait, what is happening? Like, and because what that ends up doing is for folks that aren't familiar with the story is afterwards you have no choice but to reprocess what just happened, right? Because it's so fast. Yeah, but. I think for a show that was so well-written and so tightly plotted, though, I think there's a way to just give you, even if it's five more minutes of dialogue, to just really set the table so you can sink your teeth into the wheel. I completely agree. I Honestly, in my opinion, it's the only misstep that they made the entire uh, season. And it's like so jarring a misstep because there was no other ones, really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's weird. Um, that being said, like ultimately, as far as hitting the beats, like they nailed all of it, right? They all, there was a lot of shot for shot stuff, which was great. Um, yeah, and the, se- all- the sequence where he's just mowing everyone down was, was horrifying, which yeah. it's supposed to be. And like, so I mean, like, I mean that like as absolute credit to it. Like, it's to see his single minded focus and intensity and will to kill at all costs mm-hmm. his, his refusal to be denied like there he should have been in danger mm-hmm. and he's basically the terminator and yeah in a different context that would be cheesy mm-hmm. and in this it's actually kind of powerful storytelling yeah so i really like appreciated that there is there is something to be said for like the you know oh like I blacked out like I'm seeing red like all like but like yeah Joel s- switches into he regresses into the person that he was when he was just a survivor because he is just doing what he thinks is right to protect Ellie like and it's it it is very automatic which I think that's kind of where I'm getting at like where like that could have been the choice that they made, whether it's the right one or wrong one is, is, is fine. Like for you to, to for you to judge, but I, I could see a re like that being the reason they did it the way they did to show you how quickly he can snap into that mode. Yeah. And like consequences be damned. Like he, this is what he's doing. Like he, he, and like, he will ultimately believe that he is in the right, like he's never going to apologize for doing that. Like that is, he did it for the reason that he believes he did it. And he's okay. He's, he's not happy about what he did, but he's okay with why he did it. Well, also reflectively, this really is like a powerful look at where he was earlier in the show because he always had this capacity for not just violence, but skilled violence. Yeah. Like directed and controlled violence mm-hmm. that he like, yeah, like sure. He like, he could still kill, mm-hmm. but he goes through this untouched. Yeah. I guess other people who are like trained, like they're able to fight as well. And he like got stabbed by a guy with a baseball bat, which is not like a sentence that should be possible. Mm-hmm. Because typically baseball bats are blunt objects. <laughs> and that was one guy yeah. who was not trained. He was just some scrapping scavenger. And it's like it goes to show you how low he was. And and he knew it because he told her before that, I can't do this anymore. You are going to die because I can't protect you. Yeah. He could all along. He just had lost it. 
mm-hmm. within himself. He lost that drive and that will and that determination to be maximum that at all times in the ways that he needed to be. And now to see that he's regained that, like that's pretty powerful, like character development storytelling. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a shame that they didn't stretch it out in the in the beginning because it was it was so wonderful to see the two characters actually play off each other for a while, just them when it was Joel and Ellie, and like they were talking and going through it and the giraffes and getting her over, like not over, but like breaking through to her through Ellie, who is like clearly now severely traumatized right and like it was just the 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 actors had such great chemistry and those characters have such great chemistry so it was it was awesome and i just wanted more of it um and then like to get the whole this storyline of like i told you know like joel told ellie about the guy who missed and that's why and like but he's the guy who missed like that whole that whole thing was like, holy shit. Like, this is just... Which, from what I understand, that was a new addition. That's or, new. Or a new interpretation, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. Um, and I was just, I don't know, blown away. It was it was so good. And then, like, I was like, wow. Like, okay. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned yet when they got the flashbang grenade. I was like, okay, this is fine. We're going to find out that these are the fireflies. They're going to be in the building together. Cool. And then when we find out that they've already been separated and I was like, Oh crap. Like that's when it clicked for me. What was like, what was going on? I was like, Oh, we, we, that's why the episode is 45 minutes. I was like, we're at the end. I was like, Jesus. And I was like, yeah, I could have, I could have used a little more. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that they went that direction and I don't remember all the details in that. So I remember that he broke her out of there. I couldn't remember exactly how and why, and so, like, that threw me in this situation because I guess I just always assumed there was some agency on her part. And that's – it's probably not fair to say that that's why he broke her out. It's the excuse he will use to explain why he did it. It's not true. Hmm. It's a convenient cover. And yeah. that's really what this comes down to is the people – the viewers debate over – this size in this conflict, right? Because it it does come down. I I I I'm noticing that people are falling into the same trap that Joel fell into. Of, well, is it right for him to want to love and protect her at the expense, the potential expense of humankind, versus is it right to do this procedure against her without, against her will, when you are doing it to save mankind? Mm-hmm. There are a couple of points in that, though. One, you don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. To do to rob her of that agency in that way. But, like, that's really what it comes down to is the agencies. If they gave her that choice, I think... I don't know what's the better way to do it. The way that it was done. It's a choice to do it this way. Like, it's a choice to deliver this story in this way. To not tell her. To tell Joel. And to watch how it all burns down around that. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. I'm okay with it. I don't know if it's the best wor- version of that. I don't. I'm not saying it isn't. Mm-hmm. It is complex. Because I was thinking, I found myself kicking around. Well, what are the other ways like you could play that out? You could give her the choice. She could choose to do the right thing, and then he falls victim to. Maybe at that point he finds out. Oh, they're not confident this is going to work, but they're just going to try in desperation. Mm-hmm. Or 
you could give her the choice, act like you're honoring it if she decides she doesn't want to do it, find out they're going to do it anyway, and then he breaks her out that way. Or you could do it straight and have her agree to do the procedure, and then, honestly, that could be the end of the show in its own way. You don't even know if it works or not. I don't know what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. I don't think that any of those ways is wrong, including the way that they did it themselves, but that's the biggest thing in all this that I haven't seen enough people talk about mm-hmm. is what the, the crux of this isn't whether it's right to sacrifice the many for the ones you love or if it's right to disregard the few for the many. What this whole story about is is agency. It's her agency to choose to martyr herself, to, mm-hmm. to try to save everyone versus making the selfish choice to protect herself and the one she loves. And then extrapolating out from that, he takes her agency away again by not telling her the truth. Mm-hmm. And you can hide behind. She he doesn't want her to have the guilt of everyone potentially mm-hmm. blood on her hands versus lying to her to try and preserve what you have in a selfish way because in the end you're more afraid she's going to be mad at you than anything because you killed everyone she couldn't even go back and try and fix it if she wanted to yeah and like that is also a really cool way so maybe if you do the other the first part of it differently you lose that opportunity and it sounds like the way the second game goes they want to explore that aspect of it which is fine i uh, that Mm-hmm. From what I know about the second game, like that will also be a really cool story to explore too. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I don't have the right answer. I've been trying to work my way. There is no. I think right that's answer. the point. There is no right answer, and I think that's kind of like the. I feel like that's what the game does. It's dark and it's complicated, and it uh, it makes for a hell of a discussion piece at yeah. the end there. And like because there's so many layers to it. Because like to all of the points that you're saying, like there's also this fact that like okay. Let's explore let it like giving Ellie the agency in that moment. In that moment, like she is also not equipped to make any sort of decision in her current mental state. Yeah. Right? So there's that complication. In the game, I vaguely like I don't remember. It's been a long time since I played that like through that story, like to the end of that storyline. So like what I don't remember is I had in my mind, I had this impression that th- what they're going to do is more get more information about what they could potentially do. Not that it's going to be a cure. Like, and that's like, like Joel knows that it's, it's very likely that killing her is going to be for nothing. Yeah. In his mind. Whereas in the, in the show, they explain very explicitly what they're going to do. And how they intend to make a cure, like, from Ellie, right? Of, like, okay, she, like, her brain, or, like, she's, like, had this response, so we're going to study how this response was created and use that to create, right? Which is, like, that's a more direct path, which makes it even more, I feel like, even more complicated of a discussion point. It's, like, okay, so, like, there's actually, I feel like it's weighted towards this could actually work in the show, whereas in the game, it's, like, a complete crapshoot. But I still think they did a good job of framing it in the sense of we feel good about this like solution. Yeah. But not we're sure of this solution. Right. 
Because when and you if you if you take away that uncertainty, then it makes Joel look like a total psychopath. Sure. And then, but there's also this added layer uh, in the show that makes it a little bit more complex. Or, I don't know, it's weird. With having fewer details in the game and more details in the show, it just kind of changes the conversation of it in, like, different, in different areas. Because like in the show, we have an assumption as to why Ellie is immune. Mm-hmm. In the game, we don't have any of that information. We, have, we don't know any of that history. So, like, I think that was another layer of, like, oh, like, Marlene knows, has has a relatively good, should have a relatively good assumption as to why Ellie is immune, right? She was, yeah. she came to the room. She understood what happened in that room when Ellie was born. Like, there's an assumption that could be made. Like, <clears throat> we haven't gotten any information of, like, have they tried to explore, not necessarily replicating the exact scenario, but, like, why that would happen and, like... Is there any other way around? And I, I guess you could assume that they have because they've been doing this research forever. But like, there's so many more questions. I feel like because they gave us more details. Well, actually, it even makes it like an interesting sort of ambiguous because Marlene has her suspicions mm-hmm. that that she didn't cut the cord before right. she got bit. But there's no way to test that hypothesis. Sure. But she still protects her as some sort of background. Hey, like break glass in case of emergency situation. And then when she gets bit, it becomes this whole accelerated timeline of, well, okay. My deepest, darkest suspicions and fears seem to be proven true. Let's go ahead and go with this. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild. It's, it's so intense. And like, I feel like the characters are so interesting and I'm really excited to see what they do in the second season. Any final words on The Last of Us? Uh, the last word on The Last of Us. Um, no, it was it was just it was a it was a really excellent season of television, and I'm yeah. looking forward to see what it comes up next. Even though it'll probably be three years from now or something. Yeah, me too. Me too. There is talk of splitting the second game across two seasons. Yeah, I've seen that, which which makes sense from what I'm reading. So yeah, that'll be cool. Sweet. All right, on to the next one. Mando watch? Sure. Alright, so episode three, right? Is where we're at. Um very entertaining episode. Lots of action. Uh I love a good I love a good dogfight in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> like that stuff was just bananas. It looked great too. Visually yeah. like fantastic. Um bringing Bo Katan back to the group and then her like as of as of right now, you are part of this tribe, and like we and like her kind of second guessing how she felt about things, what with finding that beast under the water, and it, it's just like it's a really interesting depth of character displayed there within I don't know three minutes of television because really it was just the bookend of a much longer episode. <laughs> yeah, which it was, was an we, interesting we, way to weird. do that. It actually it was fu- it was a funny parallel to the bill and frank episode of the last of us because like we had like five minutes of joel and ellie a whole ass episode five minutes of bill of joel and ellie yeah we had a similar thing here where you have din and Bo for a big sequence early don't see them for the whole rest of the episode see them for like three minutes at the end yeah it's interesting interesting cadence um 
But the the story we get in the middle, which is a fairly complete story of one character, I feel like, because I'm guessing that's it for them. Um, <laughs> the Doctor, who we brought back. Doctor Perkin, yeah. Which was cool. And the exploration of that character and the uneasiness of like, okay, I was on the bad side and now I have to be here and try to live here and people are staring at me and I still want to do this work because I feel like the work is important. Um, but not for the empire, but kind of would do it for the empire. If that was the only way I could do it. Like, it's really, I think it's a complex character, which is really, which is kind of cool. And just to get that, and it's a really cool execution of, of storytelling to have, like we have the, the, the din bookends with this story in the middle that is like fairly complete, but like, it's just like a, it was kind of awesome. Like I, I just, it was fairly complete and yet obviously it tips off what's going to happen somewhere down the line because um, I guess I missed this line to an extent the first time when I was watching it that they hinted that Gideon's escaped. Yeah. Something like that. Well, there was some line like, oh, did you hear that Moff Gideon escaped? And it's like, no, nah, that's just propaganda. He's dead. And it's like, Right. And I was like, I, I didn't process that line like in mm. any way, shape, or form. Like I assumed all along what's her name was working for him. Yeah. But I just assumed it was him pulling puppet strings from prison type of deal. Sure, not that he's actually like on the board somewhere. Yeah, because yeah. like <clears throat> I feel like that would be either a big plot twist for down the line, or it would be one of those things where like you start an episode it's like, oh, okay, we're finally gonna see what it's all about, and then you see like him break out, it's like, oh, Okay, and then maybe you don't see him for a while, and then he shows up. To hint at it, it like almost like offhand, like this is kind of interesting. It's an interesting yeah. way to do this. We'll see how it all manifests itself. Um, Making that character uh, being like, uh, I, I, it always, it, it's always funny to me when they do like the whole previously on the Mandalorian or whatever show, previously on X show, and then they show you a clip of a character in a situation from God knows when just because they're about to bring that character back and you're just like, oh, right. And you have to like kind of dust off your memory of like where they are, who they are, what the deal is. And I'm like, okay. <clears throat> I was like, so bad guy, not a bad guy. Okay. Um, maybe bad. Not quite sure where your sympathies are, uh, but we'll see where this goes. You seem to be cool with the doctor. Maybe you are. Maybe you are cool. Maybe you are coming around, but you've done some stuff and you're not, proud of maybe you're a joel like right like i don't know i don't know what your deal is yet and then it's like okay you're good guess who's oh a man yeah all the past and it's like oh okay you are you are actually like you know you're a little bit of an adrenaline junkie you're trying to um you know kind of feel something it's what it seems like yeah uh so you pull this job you guys are going to break into the ship and get the stuff that you need okay cool oh there's somebody here very convincing we're in trouble run out oh no Twist, I am with them. Oh no, twist, I'm with the third party. <laughs> like, what is going This is, oh, that was a lot to happen in the final few minutes of that storyline. And I was like, you really pulled the rug out from under me. Like, I kind of, I knew, I knew it wasn't what it seemed, but I didn't, but it also didn't really quite seem like anything. So it was kind of hard to figure out what they were going to do. I knew it wasn't what it seemed. I just didn't know that what it wasn't <laughs> is also not what it seemed. <laughs> 
I also didn't know what it seemed. <laughs> but that was kind of cool. So I guess they got the tools required to continue. She understands the tools required to continue the resources at this point and has some of them. Which so I'm, I assume is enough to maybe move the needle on some project. I'm curious. Well, so first, <clears throat> I don't I don't know if we talked about this or not. There's been a lot of talk about this in like the ether about what's been going on with the the Star Wars shows the last couple of years, and it seems like this at this point is basically pretty concretely like settled. Everything going on has kind of been meant to inform how Sidious was able to come back mm-hmm. because the Bad Batch is literally about clones and about this secret project that led to intentionally specialized clones. That's what the Bad Batch is. And it's what Omega, the young one, who is the same genetic material as them, but totally normal, not having a single trait. Well, except maybe possibly the force they've been teasing that she may be force sensitive. Um, and so that could be a way, you know, you take that stuff and then we know Grogu is captured by a cloner who has a tag on him that's from Camino that, that's Pershing. He's doing some sort of tests on him. And we know ultimately, right, that Palpatine will be resurrected and he'll still have force capabilities and all that. So it seems like all of these stories are more or less in some way, shape or form in service towards explaining how they could quote-unquote, bring him back from the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, secret things of the dark side or whatever that line that Mary from Lord of the Rings said, the one, one of his three lines in episode nine. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so at the end of this episode, though, I feel like a lot of people are saying definitively that they maybe silence Pershing, which uh, could be the way it's going, but I, I also wondered... Sorry, they may be what you cut out for me. So, uh, they maybe were trying to silence Pershing, right? Like, cause she oh yeah takes the thing and and like turns up the power or whatever. But all along, I assumed she was trying to get him back into the fold. Mm-hmm. So I was also wondering whether that she was just kind of trying to like break down his resistance to her to get him back working on the project actively, like. Gotcha. I don't know if he's dead. Like, if he is, like that's fine. Like I I get it. I. I kind of got the impression that <clears throat> she was trying to get him back into the fold, but it actually did go south, and this is, like, plan B. I don't know. That's a big... Like, there's no way she's that good of an operator where she could have played... Like, she's not Palpatine. Like, there's no way she could be playing both sides at the same time, right? Because that was the whole thing he did, right? Is he would manipulate situations where either outcome he was okay with. Like, mm-hmm. he had already pivoted ahead of time. Like, mm-hmm. there was actually a, a big episode in The Bad Batch a few weeks ago. I know I mentioned something about it where, like, it was about, like, the, the, the decommissioning the clones versus the the defense bill for the stormtroopers to program to go online. And they're all trying to stop the stormtrooper program. And he just finds a fall guy within the Imperial ranks and uses it as justification to start the stormtrooper program. So in the end, it was always going to end that way because he stacked the deck that okay, well, fine, we either just decommission the clones, we have the Stormtrooper program, or I frame someone, say, oh, thank you, clones, you did a great job in pointing this out, but we're going to do the Stormtrooper program. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so to presuppose that this was plan B would mean that she would have to set up everything, recruit him, get everything in line, get get him on board 
so that they could get out with the stuff and him in tow, but also have it set up that she was going to call them to come scoop him up at the same time, that those two things are, they can't exist within the same framework like that. Cause they didn't just get stumbled upon and she's like, Oh no, actually all along I was working for like, she was informing them all along what mm. was going on. She set it up to arrest him like that. But the question is, yeah. did she do that to get the info from him and silence him? Like, like you said, which is, I think what a lot of people's assumption is, and which I, I agree. It's, it's totally a plausible assumption. I have no problem if that's the direction they go. I think that's like mm-hmm. the cleanest, simplest way to do it. Um, but to me, you spent a whole episode doing all of this just to throw that character away doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I assumed that this was just her trying to get him back under her thumb because we already know they yeah. use that machine for brainwashing. We also know that it's used for torture and killing as well. But there's like a wide range of outcomes within that. Yeah. And what they said they were doing was, no, 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 we're just doing this thing to calm you down. We'll kind of start from scratch. Everything will be okay. It's not going to hurt. Yep. You just... And, like, you could turn it the other way and turn him into a babbling idiot and or, like, fry his brain and kill him. There might be a middle ground where she could use it to re-brainwash him to be back on board. And ultimately, she breaks him out. Like, she got him right where she wants him. He can't Mm -hmm. go anywhere. She's got the equipment, but she needs him. Like, to me, I I thought it would seem just, like, obvious where once Gideon's ready to go, she's already earned their, like unsuspicious trust now yeah she could break him out with the materials and go right back to start the project up again that was what i assumed was gonna happen i was surprised to see how many people like didn't seem to consider that and i I might be wrong maybe i'm reading into it too much maybe i'm giving the show too much credit but to me i thought that seemed the way that would make sense to go it could be yeah i mean also i mean we won't know well maybe you know more than i do i'm not sure because you watched the next episode right next episode had nothing to do with them at all okay it's it's fully back to the 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 children will watch so okay so that's that it's interesting i am curious to see where it goes i'm definitely am curious about that aspect of it like okay how great i'm i'm okay with doing episode nine and just accepting that he's back but i do like now maybe filling in the gaps as to the logistics. <clears throat> so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, considering how messy all that got at the end, you would think just kind of leave well enough alone, and whatever you figure out next is, like, whatever. Like, you're just moving on in whatever yeah. way. I don't have any problem with... As long as you're telling really good stories and you're doing a really good job of entertaining us with the shows, if, like, your ulterior motive is to try and, like, create the the way that you're going to weave those two things together. Ultimately, like I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But if this whole thing is just to build up to just explain that, yeah, that feels like it's a misguided mm-hmm. attempt. It's fair. Um, anyway, Mando is officially back multiple episodes out. Very much enjoying it as always. I, it's just a fun show to watch. Next episode was, was good it was uh pretty action heavy cool um like i said it was basically all took place on that planet where uh the hidden uh reconvened you know group of the children of the watches and <clears throat> it's Bo and din kind of fitting back in with this group and cool like, kind of the uneasy like um state of affairs as right. they kind of figure out where they're all at together nice all right and our final 
our final uh, topic on our post credits. Ted Lasso's back. Season three final. Sorry, season three. Did you, right? Were you? What was the next part you said after that? Final season. I mean, it seems like that's the way they've been talking about it for the past like eight months. But I mean, no one has officially of, said that. I know, but it, it just makes sense that it would be like they get relegated, they get unrelegated, and they win, right? Like that seems like it would be a good arc for the entire, like for the show as a whole, like to go to yeah. come full circle and win it, and then it be done, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. Be I love the show. I want it. I want to watch it forever. But if they only give me three solid seasons that has a finale, like I'm okay with that too. I know. But I, I guess I'm a I little to, concerned about that. That not knowing. I have to come to terms with that because the same thing's happening with Succession, which starts in a few days, and I was really not ready for that to be the final season, even more mm-hmm. so than Ted Lasso. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit of a shock to me. I'm sure it'll be great. I already read um, my my close personal friend Alan Seppenwall put out something. I don't think he's seen the whole season, but he's seen like the first few episodes, and he's like, sure kind of like pose the question of like, all right, like if you really wanted to be uncharitable, you could say like they, the show has been about the same thing over and over again, just executed and polished at like such a high level that it doesn't matter. It just keeps being the kids try to take Logan down. Logan smacks the ball down. They fight with each other. They get back together. They try to take him down. He yeah. It's like, can you, can you keep doing that forever? The answer is probably no. Although if any show could get away with it for a lot longer than everyone else, it would be this one because they do it so well. Mm-hmm. And maybe deciding to end it will be the right choice. And like so far, like the first handful of episodes and he like really did not spoil in any way, shape or form what's coming. Like it's like, it still feels like succession, but they're not just doing that Mm. again so far. And that's probably for the best. And there really is something to be said for going out on your own terms and for going out on a high note. It's the greediness in all of us to, well, if you're still doing it good, keep going. Because you just expect that, well, you've been doing it good for so long, you can just keep doing it good. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's hard to say goodbye to anything. Sure. And finales are tough for anyone. The best shows, even the really good shows, don't always have good finales. Like, it's hard to end things. Yeah, I I completely agree that it's, it's definitely hard. I am... I am probably, I, I feel like I am in the unique camp of like, I'm like, I have no, like, if you told me if a show was like, we're only going to do two seasons, I would like, like, like the first season ends, everybody loves it. We're only doing one more season. I'd be like, cool. Like and, that's Andor. It's Andor. That's fine. That they're only doing two. Yeah. Great. Awesome. But even still, I'm <clears> like, well, fuck man. We, I feel like we just got to appreciate this first season. Like, come on. Like, couldn't you do? I don't know, three or four, yeah, but then when you do three it, or four, it, you'd want five. Like, you yeah. know, so. I, yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever really felt that way about any series. I'm trying to think if there's a series that, I think maybe the only time that I felt like, oh, like, come on, was like how short the third season of Newsroom was that I was like, ah, like, what the, ah, it's over? Well, right, I think I, that was. I wasn't ready for it. It was adding insult to injury because I don't think anyone expected the third season to be the last season. And they announced it was going to be the last season. It's like, oh, well, that sucks. And then they were like, well, it's only also going to be like seven episodes or whatever it was. And it's yeah. like, well, fuck. Like, what? Like, you yeah. can't even give us a full season to finish it off? <clears throat> That's weird. 
Um, but, like, it's going to be sad to see Ted Lasso go, especially like for someone like me who binged just, the whole first two seasons and like less than a year later is watching now the final season. It's like, fuck, man. Like, I feel like I, it still feels so new to me. You know what though? The, you know what the the positive spin on this is? A short series like that, like if it is only three seasons and those episodes do go pretty quick, it's an easy rewatch. Like every couple of years, sure, and and can mm-hmm. confirm just as good the second time because <laughs> we are, we rewatched those first few those first few seasons. I am I'm okay with a season a series being long. I'm fine with it being short. I just want to know if it's ending. That's all. Like I want to set. I want to manage my expectations for the storytelling, so that like I know. Like I don't like cliffhangers, but if I know there's going to be another season, I can prepare myself to be like, this is the type of show that's going to do that thing where it's like there's going to be one thing dangling at the end that is really irritatingly dangling at the end, or they're just going to start to creak, like crack open the door for what's next. Crack open the door, okay with dangling the thing, hate it. Um, but. Like it, whatever. I just want to know. Um, I did like before when we, I was getting the notes ready. Like I just saw a uh, fourth and final season of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is premiering. I was like, great. I was like, that show to me feels like it is ready to end. And honestly, felt like maybe they should have ended it last season. I'm not quite sure like how much more they have to tell here. But like, cool, great. I love that show. Very excited every time it comes back. However, if it's if this is the final season, it's the final season. I'm fine with that. Um, uh, that's another one probably worth a rewatch because it is some great performances. There's also something to be said, like there's a difference between it's nice for us to be able to prepare for the ending, but it's even more important. Do the people making the show have the opportunity to prepare? for? The I ending? completely agree because yeah, it, it really does suck when something is just over. Um, I do. I definitely think about that before getting into a new show of like, <clears throat> How 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 good of a plot does this seem to be, and like, are they gonna just get canceled? Am I gonna waste my time? Like, because if I don't, if I'm not gonna get the whole story, I do, I will be annoyed, or a a whole story, not the, because they might not have had it planned out to completion at that point. But like, stories should have an ending, and it's really hard to do. It is hard to do, but even if they don't do it well, I prefer that the story has an ending than it to just fizzle out <laughs> yeah. actually now that i mentioned that i totally forgot to put down on that on consumption we'll do it next week but i totally forgot i finished the foundation series hmm. oh. but the the, the first episode of season three off to a great start as per usual i all of the characters you love um in various states uh <laughs> excuse me i do i obviously i love roy so much i love roy and keely together uh, it's, it's a shame uh, to see them breaking up. Having the talk with Phoebe is the talk that they yeah. are no longer together. And Phoebe, uh, maybe the best line of the show, can I use a bad word? Okay, you're being stupid. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. It's also great jarring, line. like obviously they hinted at this, the way things were going at the end of last season, but it's jarring to just, they're breaking up. Like, mm. to start the season. Like, that was a little odd to me i thought that that was something that like maybe we would do in the first act of this season Mm. and kind of see the acceleration of where they were headed to get there rather than just like ripping the band-aid in this way which 
like feels like it robs us of the emotional like weight of what was going on there. Yeah. I don't know. Like that, uh, that I I didn't love that choice. I was uh, that's totally fair. I was I was okay with it having literally just watched the finale of season two going into three. So like it felt it felt more natural, I feel like, to be like, is this gonna happen? I mean it, yes, it was obvious happening. it was going to happen, but <clears throat> yeah. like I just feel like for a show that like does a good job of setting up mm. like emotional like moments or setting up relationship development and, and in this case undevelopment to just skip to the end of that was a bit odd. Like I thought there was some connective tissue in there we were gonna need to get first. Sure. Um that being said, I do appreciate that this episode has already launched a meme. It's the way that Jamie Tart pronounces poopy. Poopy. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that uh, when he says it the second time when they're back in the locker room. Yeah. And everybody's getting all upset. And he's like, and Ted's about to go say something. And Coach Beard's like, oh, give it a second. And he, and he just kind of brings the team back together. That was That was great. Does this do we does Jamie become the captain of the team? I forget the name. What's the name of the guy's captain? Um, he's still on the team. Why would they take the captaincy from him? Ah, <clears throat> uh, injury. I don't know. Mm. Trade something. I, I have no idea. I just have a feel. I I just feel like Jamie. Like we everybody knows Jamie's great, right? But the thing that he was missing was being that team player, and he is his character arc is incredible. And like I feel like he's becoming the best version of himself, and which like you know we have also been told like straight out <laughs> by multiple characters that Jamie's becoming. But like it almost feels like he is becoming deserving of this because he is starting to be a leader of the team in a great way. That I like. I wonder if if he does if that happens for him at some point within this season. Well, it's fun. It's considering how in the same way that I, like you know Legolas and Frodo spoke one time. Um, yeah. Did Nate and Jamie ever speak on this show? Because they are like Mario and Wario to each other, where they are both like from the fifty thousand foot view. Like one of them puts on an air of self confidence, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know that he is not a healthy individual on the inside, and he's been broken down and built back up into becoming like a really full arc of like what like nurturing someone can do to help them fully actualize. Whereas mm-hmm. Nate was the person who secretly had the talent all along, but was so utterly lacking in his ability to express that, that he detracted from himself. Mm-hmm. And while he's being, having that nurtured in him, he becomes and actualizes the talent at the expense of what was ultimately a good person to start. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of similarities in their journey and yet they're the polar opposites of each other in a lot of ways. Yes. That's interesting. They've role reversed. Hmm. That is interesting. (sighs) Fucking Nate. Nate pisses me off so much. I mean, I get him though. He's a great uh, character. Like it's a a really well constructed character. Just, I hate him. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a bit. A while back, like I didn't love how they got there, even though I knew like that was where they wanted to get. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually to a certain extent, it's kind of the same way as the Roy thing, where it's like 
they did a good job of foreshadowing where it was going. Hmm. But then they just jumped to it happening in a way that didn't make a lot of sense to me. If you rewatch the second season, it's there's no jump. I felt that way the first time through. I was like, what? This was abrupt. But there is there's actually a lot of nuance in like background scenes and things like that that are happening with Nate that like it actually it I feel like they actually do it a really good I job. I mean, they're laying the tracks. Like it was obvious what was coming. It's just it accelerates so quickly out of nowhere. It's I I really I don't I don't feel that it's out of nowhere. And I, the only reason I can say that is just having rewatched the second season, it felt and I, maybe knowing where it was going exactly where it was going to go, it makes it easier to see it this way. But like, I feel like in in hindsight, rewatching it, like it feels it feels appropriately paced. Mm. I don't know. I'd be curious if you were to rewatch it, if you would feel any different. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't debate the topic because I, I just don't have the details at my yeah. fingertips to access. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the, it's all we, in there, but like not in the way. We basically it. have like throughout the episodes of season two, we have Nate. You could see very clearly like Nate kind of being pushed to the side because somebody else is getting Ted's favor or something like that, and not and his note to. I don't believe to any fault of Ted. It's just how it's Nate's perception of it because he, he has this, this very difficult relationship with his father that he then is, it's like projected everywhere else. Um, but we constantly see his disappointment when Ted is happy with somebody else. Then we start to see him guarding himself by being resentful of Ted with a few different things and like making comments where like <laughs> he, he'll be making like really shitty comments about Ted or about something. And coach Beard is just in the room like, what the fuck are you saying? And, yeah. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of that. And then it all kind of comes to a head around the uh, Rebecca's father's funeral, where Rupert actually pulls Nate aside and talks to him. And you can't hear what they're saying. And he leaves and you see Nate kind of have that moment that he used to have when Ted would tell him something that he wanted to hear. So I guess I forgot about that scene. I mean, it wasn't a surprise to me that he goes to work for them. Like that seemed like an obvious thing to me, but I guess I forgot about that scene. Mm. You know what it is? It's really the most jarring part of all of it is I'm, like it was, I guess it happens after that. So maybe like that injecting that confidence into him. Cause like I said, he like, he starts finding that confidence in the like the same like in the opposite way from how like Jamie like showed it even though it wasn't real, um, when he kisses Keely, mm-hmm. it's like so abrupt. Yeah, and like I like I got it. Like I don't have a problem with it all, but like that mm-hmm. that acceleration made this the least sense to me. Then versus like like the kind of like the shit talking and like like the arrogance and all that stuff. Yeah, that one. He he definitely has some. Comments. I mean, you know, like he like he can't like he's literally speechless every time she's around. Like yeah, so yeah. like I like I like she's kind of like the white whale to him and all. Like it was just like, mm-hmm. the way he like chased it down. All of a sudden, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like I thought they would have built that a little bit more. Sure. And oh, that was actually that was another thing that actually accelerates his frustration with everybody is when. Roy wants to murder Jamie, but when Nate says that he kisses Keely, he kissed Keely, he's like, it's fine. (laughs) 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 Which, like, he does say, like, like, uh, I guess when you look at it that way, considering it's not just that he's getting pushed to the side, it's getting pushed aside for Roy, which actually, like, 
if there was anyone he was going to be pushed to the side for, you would have thought he would be okay with it being for Roy. Right. Like, you would have thought he would have respected Roy in a way that he wouldn't respect Jamie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, like, he hadn't worked his way up from a coach. But also, like, fucking Nate was, like, the equipment guy. Yeah. Roy was the savvy vet. He did this for forever. He has the credentials to come in off the street and be a coach. Yeah. And it doesn't actually push Nate to the side. It's just that Nate wants to be the center of attention all of a sudden. And I guess mm-hmm. that maybe that comes back to, was it Rupert? Is that his name? Yeah. Um, like him, like beefing up. And to be fair, we didn't hear that conversation. Like you said, right. I guess I didn't, I forgot about that scene and that's kind of maybe an important skeleton key to all of this. Um, but I don't know. Like it, it's like, yeah, like he was making the shitty comments and like, even like, Ted notices it, and I, I think I even said my frustration was more in the fact that Ted doesn't address it, considering he sees it for a lot longer than, like, while it's going on, and he doesn't say anything. It's the only time he doesn't get out ahead and address a situation. It's the only time he doesn't do it in the whole show. And I, I do think that he would have, provided he wasn't going through the very difficult stuff that he's going through in those moments. That's probably true. Um, like I said, I, I don't have a problem with overall yeah. like where it ended. I uh, just I thought that there was some cracks in how they got there. <clears throat> you know what's what's really cool about the second season is it starts off with a focus on Nate's eyes and it ends that way too. And I I didn't know I didn't even make that connection. I remember it ending that way because they do the whole thing where like there's this coach with gray hair blowing the whistle and shouting at and like you know guiding a team and then they come in close and they, they, he turns around and it's Nate's eyes right. That's it, the camera. It, the camera is there when the season starts, and when we were watching it. Kim was like, "Oh, that's how the season ends." I was like, "That is, whoa! Like that's really cool. Like, like to think about like the stuff that." And while rewatching something like this is totally worth it, is like the stuff that they put in place that you wouldn't notice without rewatching it or like reckon or like I don't know having a really clear memory of that. If you watch season two all in one or two sittings, maybe you make that connection immediately. But if you're watching it over the course of releasing each week, I, you, you don't, I'm sorry. You're not going to make, you're not going to remember those, that the bookend scene that way, mm-hmm. unless it was like told to you, but no, it, it definitely made an impression in the finale. Yeah. So rewatching it in the, in the season premiere, yeah, it's like, I, I oh, didn't make, I didn't that's make pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Having seen it like around a year ago, I, I didn't make the connection. So, yeah, well, yeah, and then just like the idea of like, oh, like there's a there's a very specific Nate story that is going to be told for this entire season, which is like it's going to start and end with him in a certain way, and I think that is I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and then oh, he's just such an asshole already in the third season, and I just he he does things throughout the series. Well, sorry, throughout the second season, the first season, he's great. That make you really dislike him, right? And this particular one, first episode, when he's going up the escalator and the person says hi to him and he doesn't respond in any way, shape, or form, I'm just like, I fucking hate you. Because he's literally reading his own press clippings. Like, oh, like this hotshot owner, big important team, they hired me. And it's a recognizing, he recognized my greatness, even if no one else does. And everyone else is a piece of shit for not recognizing my greatness. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Man, I, I'm I'm excited to see where the where the season goes, um, but I just can't. I love the show is so funny, it's so entertaining, and it's so it's got so many great deep stories to tell too. It's just like it's it's got everything. Same similar feeling with shrinking. It's just got it all. My favorite stupid little <clears throat> thing in this episode was 
I always forget the name of the guy. The guy who's like the the president of the team. Um, the glasses who works for Rebecca. Uh, Higgins? Higgins, yeah. I could, yeah, just yeah. couldn't remember his name. When she comes back from lunch with Keely and she, she was crying and stained her blouse and he shows that he's got the stain on his shirt. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. He, I, lo- I love Higgins. Higgins randomly being in a closet making it his office always spilling his cup of pens. Yes. It's just... I very, told you very stupid gag. Before you started watching the show, I told you there was one particular scene that I was couldn't wait for you to get to, and it was the scene in the first season where Ted is like, "Yeah, me and Higgy, are, me and Higgy Stardust are having lunch later. Uh, we're <laughs> having we're having salads." And Rebecca's like, "Okay," and he leaves. And Higgins says, as he's going out the door, "I'll Caesar you later." And Ted bursts back through the yep. door and goes, "Yes, right." And I love that scene. I forgot completely that in the second scene he does something very similar yeah where he has the letter from the doctor and ted's like i'm not reading it and he walks out the door and he goes don't let her get away and he (laughs) punches the door back open and he grabs the letter and he walks out (laughs) he's so he's so great and then i love paying paying much closer attention to coach beard this time around Mm. And he's so funny. His yes. lines are so funny. His facial expressions are hilarious. His deme- his like, this is who I am. Here's the wall. Only a few people on this side of it. <laughs> right? And there's one of my favorite lines, though, because I love the way he shouts things sometimes. When Ted goes, we're going to nip that in the butt. And he goes, it's bud, coach. But, oh, like plants? Horticulture, baby. <laughs> Such a good show. Uh, my my other takeaway from this episode that I liked was, it looks like Ted's losing his fastball. Right, he lost his protege mm-hmm. at the end of last season. He's the team's off to uh, like like well, it's not like the season hasn't started, but everyone's like picking them to be bad. Yeah, right? which is not uncommon for the team that's promoted like this decent chance to get relegated again. Right. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem to have a great handle on things at practice. They literally go into the sewer and all that. It seems like he's losing his fastball and then to turn it around on the fly in that press conference. So like, awesome. he still got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and to see Rebecca come around being like, I doubted you and I shouldn't have, which was surprising considering like we spent the whole first like season and a half, like getting her to trust him implicitly. Mm hmm. That like he knows like he doesn't have to get every little thing right to know that generally speaking he's doing the right thing. He's always going to keep like evolving and growing and making things better. Yeah. For him to her, for her sh- faith to be shaken that much in that way, a lot of it comes down to external factors, right? It really doesn't have to do with anything about him specifically. But it was nice to see just as quickly her realize, hey, listen, like this isn't even about him and about the team. Like this is about other things and I'm taking it out on him because yeah. he makes it easy by being the oaf that he is. It makes him look like he's not in control, even though he ultimately probably is. Yeah. Oh man. It is. There's a lot <clears throat> in, in very a comical execution. There is a lot of nuance there that you're describing. It's just, it's so, I love it. I love it so much. Um, I can't wait to see where they go with it. Um, I do wish I could watch all of the like like I'm not one for binging. I do like the weekly releases, but I love this show and it's so it's such a fast watch that I'm like I would happily be burning through all of these episodes like if it was the whole season drop. It's, it's funny how 
few years ago, the future was we're going to have this one or two streaming services and we're just going to watch our whole seasons of television. And now we're back to having 47 different things we pay for that are just dropping weekly episodes. Yeah. So almost yeah. like I called this exactly from the start. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. By the way, I never had a problem with weekly stuff. Like I liked the guilty pleasure aspect of Netflix to an extent, but it was always like, I, it's nice to have a show that's that way, but I like weekly releases. I even, like, even if you want to do bi-weekly or we're, you know, we're releasing two episodes at a time. Like, yeah, but it's nice to be I able to like two episodes at a time. It's, it's nice to be able to space out your content so that you can yeah. actually like people. Oh, the water cooler is dead. Like, like we're not like talking about, no, it's water nice cooler to fucking, is dead. Long live the water cooler. <laughs> it's nice to fucking sit down and talk to someone, whether it be for five minutes at the water cooler or whether it be for 45 minutes or three hours on this show or whatever. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be able, everyone has a chance to be on the same page. Hey, did you see the episode last night? No, I'm watching it tonight. Oh, cool. Let's talk tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I agree. Like I that's like the that flexibility of, of we don't need the water cooler. We've got phones or Slack or whatever. Like you can chat about it at a pace like where it's not like, oh, did you see the new season of Ted Lasso? No, I didn't even get to watch the first episode yet. Well, I watched all 10 episodes last night because I can sleep on, I can work on four hours of sleep. Right. Fuck. Okay. I'll let's talk a month from now when I finish the season. Like, yeah. The, and like you think it's it's on a streamer, so like yeah, like if you don't have time to get to it now, like yeah, you can watch it three months from now if you want. But if you want to be in the moment and and fan about this stuff with other people who are fans of it, like mm-hmm. I appreciate having a metered release like that. Uh Ted. Yeah, I'm down with it. Anything else on this? No, I think that's good for this one. We both uh, have a next week. We'll have two episodes to talk about. So yeah. Sounds groovy. All right, man. Well, I will catch you next time. All right.